You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 163 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in the kitchen studio tonight, although he is a little bit under the weather, is my co-host Matt Smith. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, no, I am here. I'm just here... um I'm, I'm here, it's fine. Uh, now Matt's going to be taking a, a kind of a, 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 a um, producery kind of role this evening, as he normally does anyway, but he's going to be taking like a, a 99.99% a role, yeah. Yeah, exactly. uh, producing role tonight. But we have got uh, with a wonderful uh, harp jet uh, legend that is Owen with us on the show tonight. <laughs> last so hello standing. Owen, last hey, minute. Yes. <laughs> we, we've, things. We've, we've dragged him off the 737-800 and he's here with us now. So uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us Owen. You've, uh, you've, Thank uh, you for having me again. So uh, uh, been flying anywhere nice this week Owen? Have you been on holiday? Um, today we had a rather interesting double Denmark. So we flew to Billund and back and then to Arus, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, and back. Yeah, oh. so they're bo- they're both fairly near to each other, but uh, yeah. Yeah, sounds very nice indeed. The weather's been that's been really nice. We had some rather nice sunshine, which has been quite yeah. good. So we've got a full chat room uh, as always. Uh, we've got uh, Air Show World. Uh, Jeff, Doctor uh, Jeff's in there. Jeff. Uh, Do- Doctor Jeff, Doctor Jeff, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> Captain Steph. Uh, we have got, uh, we've actually got Doctor Steph in the chat room as well. Lane Street, Liz Piper, Mariana, Myla's in the chat room. Neville's in the chat room. Uh, Rick Bell, our host for next week at Pittsburgh, which is nearly here, is also in the chat room. We had, uh, I think, Adrian Meacham's in the chat room as well. And there are, there are, I mean, this the, the pop, their participants thing doesn't work very well on this YouTube thing because it doesn't always tell who's in here, but. Hello to everyone who's joined us in the chat room. So it is the fifth of May, and uh, well, it's uh, it's going to be a good show. We've got a slightly shorter news segment for this week because we've got a guest so much on content. the show. <laughs> uh, but um, well, we we better crack on. I suppose. We had, yeah, absolutely. So uh, are you uh, are you uh, good to go, Owen? You're uh, you got the news I'm stories good in front of you. Good. So we are going to start the show then, as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Owen. Yep, I'm ready here. Hit it, Matt. Kicking off this week's first news story, and it's on the wonderful paper here in the UK called The Sun. So the sun.co.uk then, and the headline, Protect Your Holiday, How to Protect Yourself from an Airline Going Bust as Italy's Alitalia Goes into Administration. Wow, I didn't know that till I read this, you know. That's a shame. So travellers who brought flights directly from Alitalia aren't protected because the airline is not a member of Atoll. Italy's flagship carrier Alitalia went into administration this week, but the airline confirmed that it will continue running flights for the next six months. The airline operates around 12 flights a day from the UK to Italy, and British holidaymakers who have already booked a flight with the airline will not be impacted if their flight is within the next six months, with all flight bookings honoured. A spokesperson for the uh, UK travel body, Abta, said Alitalia will continue to honour bookings for the next six months 
months while it looks for a new refinancing package to keep it in business. That means that the administration will only affect those who have flights booked in seven months' time or later, in which case protection will depend on how you brought the flights. So how to protect yourself if an airline goes bust? So by law, every UK travel company which sells air holidays and flights is required to hold an air travel organizer's license or atoll. If a firm uh, has an atoll and ceases trading, the scheme protects customers by flying them home or refunding them the cash. Those who brought flights directly from Alitalia aren't protected because the airline is not a member of Atoll, and because it is based outside the UK it doesn't have to be. But there are other ways you can protect yourself from an airline going bust. If you pay by credit card and something goes wrong, you'll be protected under the Consumer Credit Act as long as you spend more than £100 and less than £30,000. Blimey, that would be an expensive flight. That would be a very expensive pounds. flight. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, maybe um, business class. I know. <laughs> so if you pay by debit card, there's no legal protection, but some banks will refund you under the uh, chargeback wow. scheme. Uh, there's no minimum spend and you've got 120 days to make your claim through the bank. And if you're a PayPal user, then you should be covered by its buyer protection scheme, but you must claim within 180 days of paying. So in March, thousands of British holidaymakers had their holidays cancelled after Diamond short break holidays went bust. The Leicestershire-based tour operators sold holidays to destinations around the UK and other European locations. Luckily, around 16,000 holidaymakers who had booked non-flight-based package holidays with the firm were financially protected uh, through ABTA. So that's a few things. I mean, I didn't realise. I knew Alitalia were in trouble, but I didn't realise they were uh, in uh, in that amount of trouble. Is, no. did, did you know about that, Owen? Or yeah, it's gotten to um, a really dire situation now. Um, and definitely, uh, when we we're working on board, a lot of our cabin crew are Italian as well, and they're they're kind of taking a look at friends back home and uh, seeing them in a, a, a lot of fear uh, that they might lose their jobs very very soon. I think it's a shame when when a large uh, country's you know major airline it, it has the, trouble. It is their main. Yeah, it, it yeah. Is their, it's yeah. Th like their, we their have BA. Yeah, it's their flag carrier. Yeah, it's their flag exactly. They're their flag mm. carriers. It is. It's unfortunate, yeah. but uh, let's yeah. hope things. Let's hope things turn out good for them anyway. So moving on to the next story, Owen, and um, well, it's it's a story just for you. <laughs> all right this is from insidermedia.com and uh, it's all about ryanair ryanair enjoys huge passenger increase it says and it says ryanair has posted a huge rise in passenger numbers the dublin headquartered airline carried 13 or 11.3 million customers during april up from the 9.9 .9 during the same million the same month last year the company's load factor, the number of passengers against the number of seats available, was also up from 93% to 96%. In March, Ryanair called on the UK government to put aviation at the forefront of the negotiations with the EU or risk losing flights to and from the continent. With the UK set to leave Europe's open sky system, the company believes a bilateral agreement will have to be negotiated with the EU to allow flights to continue. Ryanair has also already pivoted away uh, pivoted growth away from the UK to other EU airports cutting its growth rate in the former from 15% to 6% this year so i suppose there's a, a kind of a mixed uh, mixed story there uh, especially for people in the UK uh, because 
well, uh, I suppose Reiner have carried more people uh, this year and that they're also not growing as fast as they were in sort of anticipation as to what's going to happen with bre- Brexit. Well, I think that's a big factor, isn't it? It's all about um, issues with regard to uh, to Brexit, isn't it? It's just so much yeah. uncertainty in the market in general, I think, at the moment. Well, that's just it. And I think we were, there was a, a story, it was the last week of the week before, where it, the, the airlines are now having to uh, schedule these flights for 18 months from now. Yeah. Uh, and effectively what that means is within the next six months, the... Uh, the flights and the tickets and the the timetables that are going to be available just after the UK leave the EU uh, are going to be kind of planned in the next six months. So they have to come to an agreement very, very, very very soon. I think it's fair to say that it's going to be two years before um, we actually leave, if you see what I mean. So, I mean, the the ball has only just started uh, running now. So, yeah. But the, the the planning process for an airline takes a huge, huge amount of time. So the, the those seats that are going to be available in two years' time are, are going to be planned within the next sort of six to, to eight months. So that that's the sort of time frame that um, the airlines have really and, to... And I'm, I'm also very, very pleased in the fact that, you know, in a time when we're having lots of elections and things, we've managed to get a mention of Brexit in Because, I mean, that's never been these days. It, it's never in the news or anything. Did, <laughs> did you say Brexit? Yeah, I did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think on. at this stage, Brexit needs its own sound clip. Yeah, that, that was... <laughs> Yeah, well, we have uh, we have obviously got the sound clip for Matt, haven't we, uh, Owen? Thanks to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we all know what that one is. But uh, no, you've only you've only got to look at uh, Flight Radar Twenty Four to see uh, just how many Ryanair flights are in the air at any one time. Yeah, I, yeah. I should yeah. imagine they, can... they have something like uh, three hundred and eighty aircraft at the moment, which is absolute insane yeah. amount of aircraft. It is. It is frightening. And, isn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, and there is something nice about uh, somebody with a with a nice Irish accent re- reading a Ryanair story. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> Yeah. What there is about well done, that. Owen. So, well yeah, done. Absolutely. Well done. Yeah, it somehow seems like it's come come home. Do you know what I mean? It's really nice. So the next story, uh, <laughs> moving on to the this is the NBC San Diego dot com website, and the headline uh, Condor. This is for uh, any of our uh, listeners who live in Germany. Condor Airlines launches <gasps> Jenny nonstop. Room, sorry. Oh, hello, Jenny. Hello, Jenny. Uh, Condor Airlines launches nonstop flights from San Diego to Germany. Ooh. The seasonal service runs through October, 8, uh, October the 5th with up to three weekly flights from San Diego International Airport straight to Frankfurt. So uh, getting to Germany from San Diego just got easier. Condor Airlines has launched a new non-stop service that takes travellers straight to Frankfurt. On Monday, Condor Airlines celebrated the inaugural f- uh, inauguration of its new seasonal service out of San Diego International Airport, uh, a, f- a service that was first announced over a year ago. So the new flight is the airline's first ever non-stop service from San Diego to Germany, and now for the uh, the uh, now for the only non-stop connection between San Diego and continental Europe. The service runs through uh, the fifth of October, offering up to three weekly flights on Mondays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Uh, the San Diego Airport Authority said that, uh, for instance, an outbound flight on Monday leaves San Diego at 8:50 p.m. and arrives in Frankfurt International at 5:40 p.m. the next day. The returning flight on Mondays departs Frankfurt at 2:25 p.m. So 
just after dinner, and then arrives in San Diego at 6 p.m. So there's a nine-hour time difference between San Diego and Frankfurt. According to Condor Airlines, one-way flights start at $329 in economy class, or $439.99 in premium, or if you've got a few quid lying around, you can go into business class for that one-way trip for $1,089.99. Sounds very cheap. So a Monday to Monday itinerary, uh, say from May the 15th to May the 22nd, round trip for one person in economy, for example, will set you around uh, back around about $670. So airfare includes complimentary checked baggage, beverages, meals, and complimentary in-flight entertainment, the airline oh. says. The passengers can choose between, uh, between economy, premium economy, business class on board the aircraft. Uh, the aircraft they're using is uh, obviously a quality aircraft, the Boeing 767-300ER, and flights can be booked on Condor's website uh, or by calling the uh, airline itself. So there we go. For anyone who's living in Germany and wants to take a trip to San Diego, <coughs> you can get there non-stop now. Wow, sounds good. So moving on to the next story, this one is for you, Owen. So this is from W. <laughs> really? He likes this one. <laughs> www.fool.com. Oh, you fool. It's the oh, motley fool. fool. It's the motley fool. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this says a Boeing Streamliner gets a solid win with a WestJet order. WestJet plans to order 10 Boeing 787-9s with options for another 10. Uh, it says Boeing entered 2017 with a very cautious outlook for aircraft orders, but so far it's running well ahead of last year's pace. As usual, the 737 is driving the bulk of the Boeing's order activity. Yeah, go 737s. <laughs> uh, <laughs> however, the 787 Dreamliner family is also off to a solid start. On Tuesday morning, the Dreamliner uh, bagged another important win as Canadian low-cost carrier WestJet announced a firm order for 10 787-9s along with another 10 options. Yay. Firm orders have been in short supply. Uh, Boeing's Dreamliner program secured the bulk of its firm, firm orders between 2004 and 2008. Wow, that's uh, wow, well over 10 years ago. Um, well before the type's entry into service. The launch of the larger 787-10 variant in 2013 spurred a brief uptick in sales activity with 182 net orders for the 787 family that year. However, the Dreamliner orders have trailed uh, have trailed deliveries since then. From 2014 to 2016, Boeing averaged fewer than 60 net firm orders per year for the 787 family. And by contrast, it's currently building 12 787s per month. Boeing's backlog of 672 firm orders for the 787 serves as a buffer for now, but unless order activity accelerates, it will eventually lead to cut production. For Boeing to increase production to 14 per month as planned, it would need even more orders to come in. Through the first months of 2017, Boeing has received just 13 firm orders for the 787 family. However, that figure excludes Boeing's two biggest Dreamliner deals of the year, as they have not yet been finalised. Oh, it'll be interesting. Uh, oh, it does say. <laughs> <laughs> um, two solid Dreamliner commitments. The first of these order commitments came from Singapore Airlines in February. The Asian carrier, which previously ordered 30 Dreamliner 787-10s, 
plans to buy another 19 of the same aircraft in order to modernize its and expand its fleet. Singapore Airlines has also options to purchase six more 787-10s. This week, WestJet gave the Dreamliner its second biggest order commitment of the year, agreeing to buy 10 787-9s with another option for another 10. Deliveries of the first 10 planes are scheduled to run from 2019 to 2021. WestJet plans to use the 787s uh, to expand its uh, nascent. I, I, I've I'm never not, come across no, that word. No, 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 <laughs> uh, it's nascent into international. It's. I think it should say descent. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's it's a ascent type. into yeah. international service. Possibly, yeah. I think that yes, yeah, it's, it's descent or ascent, isn't it? I, I think it's a typo. Website, Either way, yeah. it's been done wrong, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, to expand into its international service, uh, the company noted that the Dreamliner's long range would allow it to expand into Asia, Latin America, and deeper into Europe. Additionally, the seven eight seven nines are eventually likely to replace the four Boeing seven six sevens that WestJet is currently using for flights to London and Hawaii. Those planes are nearly 25 years old on average and probably need to be retired a few years down the road. Including the Singapore Airlines and the WestJet order commitments, Boeing has captured 42 Dreamliner orders this year. That's a solid start to the year considering that the orders tend to concentrate around the top air show of the year. The Paris air show takes place next month and uh, New Year end. Indeed. I mean, that's, um, you know, it's a... It's a it's an odd website to be carrying such a, a genuinely quite quite interesting <laughs> story. Really. Exactly, I know. Uh, I, I was a bit uh, nervous when I saw it come up, and it said, you know, sort of, you know, the motley fool. And I'm just thinking, have you been to one of these terrible joke sites again? And it's going to be some <laughs> horrific story. But oh. no, it's it sounds absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, well, WestJet are uh, an amazing uh, low cost company. They, they uh, run in, that. They run that Canada. really good uh, Christmas ad every year. West. Oh, they do, uh, don't yeah. they? That was. And they also so do good. some uh, uh, very good April Fool's jokes as oh, well. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Look them. You, you two yeah. them. Yeah, you'll oh, see exactly. them. Exactly. Right. Fair enough. So next story. Moving on is it's so well. It's we obviously had some good news for Boeing. So we've we've got to even it up a little bit, especially mm. for obviously for Captain Nick. Cause otherwise, we'll cry. <laughs> He'll write to us. So uh, we've got yeah. uh, this is on the aerospace manufacturing and design dot com. Wow, that's one big website. That's quite a website, yes. So the headline, Airbus adds 20 A350 orders to uh, reports the first quarter offered uh, of this year. Uh, no surprises whatsoever. Sorry, just to interrupt briefly, Jennifer has actually said that uh, nascent is actually a word. It means just coming into existence. Oh, there we go. I'm very, Th- very there sorry. We are. We're, 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 to every day is in fact a school day, isn't it? Yeah. Well done. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, no, uh, um, so the, I'm very sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> no I'd never fine. heard of it either, and I thought I was quite good at this English rubbish. You're, you're, you're <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> English very well. Your accent <laughs> covered up the fact. Your accent covered up the fact it was it was you know that they're Owen. So don't worry. Yeah. Everyone just loves yeah. listening. Jeff to is horror. He's very excited that he's having to educate the English in how to. Uh, I know actually, Americans <laughs> educating the English. I know. How it's not right, English. is it? It's 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 it's. Something. How how is Farnborough? Oh, stop it! <laughs> stop it! You <laughs> bad man. So anyway, going back to the story. So on the. Uh, on the aerospace manufacturing and design.com website. Okay. So Cleveland, Ohio, the day before reporting first quarter uh, 2017 results, Airbus officials released the news that China Southern Airlines has signed a purchase agreement for 20 wow. A350 900s, becoming the latest customer for the wide bodied aircraft. China Southern Airlines now operates one of the largest Airbus fleets in the world with more than 300 
Airbus aircraft in service, uh, the A320s and A330 families and five A380s. With this latest order, Airbus has reached a total of 841 firm orders for the A350XWB from 45 customers worldwide. In Amsterdam on the April the 27th, uh, Airbus CEO Tom Enders reported first quarter 2017 results and confirmed guidance for the full year. So the total intake and uh, you know, total intake totaled 4.2 billion dollars compared to uh, uh, 7.9 billion dollars in the first quarter of 2016 in the order book. Uh, the <laughs> net helicopters rose uh, to 60. So because obviously Airbus do helicopters as well, and uh, with the uh, Super Puma family helicopters and 14 of those uh, H145s as well, and also their revenues increased. 13 A350XWBs were delivered in the first quarter of 2017. The program is on track to reach the monthly production target of 10 aircraft by the end of 2018, he said. A total of 26 A320neo aircraft were delivered to 14 customers, the first delivery of an A320. 20 Neo occurred in April. Uh, flight testing of the A319 Neo is now underway. So there we go. So good news for Airbus there. Uh, in, in in other news, uh, with regard to teaching the English words, uh, the English how to speak <laughs> words. Uh, rather interestingly, uh, Nev has uh, uh, said, and I think this, I genuinely think this is going to happen. He said, in 55 years, I have never used that word. Expect extensive and irritating use of it at pits. <laughs> uh, I think I think this is going to. I think uh, this Do particular you know word is going to become the I'll word what, of our, our. It's just as well we're not flying Qatar Airways. Oh, is don't it? open or that. Can yeah, so no, that's, that's, that's just another discussion entirely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The scent is going to be the uh, the word of of our trip to pits. I think. I, th- I think it's definitely. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, at least we're not flying Acme. Anyway, so the uh, the last that's, that's, that's very good news for uh, Airbus and uh, for myself and Matt were down there. We saw a lot you of these say. aircraft. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's a huge amount of A350s all lined up. Getting kitted out and getting painted, and uh, it's just an incredible production, isn't it, Matt? Uh, it, absolutely incredible. Niz, uh, sorry, Liz says that Nascent is banned from my car, Nev. Uh, <laughs> so that's it. It's, no, yeah, it's obviously is. It's already. Uh, it's Nascent. Nascent. Oh, sorry. Nascent. Oh, I'm being shouted nasal. at now by Nasal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I'm just so shouting. Much. Yeah, he is. Yeah, what, what, uh, either that, either that, or his caps lock is stuck on. Jeff. I'm, not, I'm not sure which one it is. I think he's shouting. Jeff's Jeff shouting. <laughs> Anyway, so Indeed. the last... Uh, oh, yeah, we're doing an aviation show. I'm so, so last, sorry. Uh, <laughs> last little uh, news lose bit for uh, for this week's Oh, that's what she said. And uh, the dailymail.co.uk, and it's, it's not a top ten, but it's a kind of weird list of uh, stuff. But this is uh, the headline uh, on the Mail Online site. This is Cactus Gardens, Oxygen Bars and 40-Foot Slides, the world's oddest airport attractions revealed. What? So oh, if you've got is, time... This is very good. I Where know. on earth did you manage to I, I dragged this one up. I'll tell you what, I found this one. This actually did come out on the 5th of May, so it's, uh, it was, it's fairly new. It's story. today. That's, That's today. today. That's yeah, today. today. So yeah. uh, the, head, or oh, the story... That was 9 o'clock this morning. Yeah. The story <laughs> then, uh, if you've got time to kill at these airports, the minutes are set to whiz by thanks to the weird and wonderful attractions. So you can ride a 40-foot slide at Changi Singapore Air- Airport to find the light at the end of the tunnel 
tunnel or fritter coins away at the slot machines before uh, boarding a plane in Las Vegas. If you're a beer boffin, the world's only airport brewery in Munich might tempt you in for a tipple. Um, so here we go. So we're uh, we'll we'll go, we'll go for one each then. Uh, uh, Owen, so I'll the first one of these on the list. Then this is uh, the brewery, which is in Munich International Airport. I'm sure uh, Pip's probably been there. I should imagine. <laughs> so uh, Airbrow at Munich Airport is said to be the only airport brewery in the world crafting beers in compliance with the exacting standards of the Purity Decree of 1516. Mm-hmm. Drinkers have a range of different ales to choose from, including a lively and fruity cumulus and a fruity. naturally cloudy jet stream. Ooh. Large groups can also indulge in a keg containing 10 litres of oh, beer oh, oh, oh. for long-lasting uh, oh. enjoyment. <laughs> oh boy, that sounds like a Jet 2 story all in one. So also brewery tours so, It also offer. sounds like jet fuel, but we'll, we'll, we'll gloss over that. Uh, so the, the main attraction is seeing the shiny copper kettles uh, that brew the beer. So wow, there we go. So next one, oh, this Owen. This is cool. Well, this, this one I I want to get my family because my family are going through Munich uh, later on this year. Um, I, kind of <laughs> laying over there for a few hours. So I'm going to get them to take a few photos of this place. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Send them in when they when you've got them. Definitely. So the next uh, next one on the list, then Owen. Where's the next one? Is an oxygen bar oh, at Narita International Airport in Japan. Now, am, am I missing? And, am I missing a trick here? Isn't oxygen available <laughs> anywhere? Yeah, um, no. Is, and, I mean, looking at those prices for yeah, uh, yeah. ten minutes, I'll 20 stick minutes, with the free stuff. Thanks. There, there, yeah, it's it's quite it's quite pricey. Yes. It's uh, eight hundred yen, or that that's that's eight dollars, or roughly what the uh, six pound fifty for ten minutes of oxygen. Right. <laughs> what happens if you don't pay the fee? Do they just they put you yeah. in, in a vacuum tank and that, and that's it? Game over. Yeah. So this says travelers can breathe easy at Narita International Airport in Japan thanks thanks to an oxygen bar. Instead of alcohol, the health conscious saloon in Terminal 1 serves up pure O2. Customers can choose from a menu of exotically flavored gas from eucalyptus to eucalyptus menthol to cinnamon. Tanks puff out puffs of the good stuff in 10 minute increments. If airport goers are really in need of some fresh air, an hour of reoxygenation should definitely do the trick. <laughs> I'm trying to read this story without laughing, but <laughs> you're you doing know very what? well. I actually really, really like to try this. Really? Oh yeah. Really? Oh, so, yeah, what, so what did you do? What did you do before your flight? I breathed some oxygen. I breathed <laughs> some oxygen. <laughs> Winning for um, thirty minutes, and it cost me twenty dollars. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, when we were when we, when we were doing training, uh, we were we were to try on the 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 quick don oxygen masks uh, in the uh, that the pilots use um, in case we ever were in an emergency situation where we were in the cockpit for some reason and we needed to use these. Right. Uh, but unfortunately, they just pumped out um, normal air rather than the expensive stuff. Expensive, not laughing gas. Then. <laughs> yes, laughing gas. No, you don't want ni- la- laughing gas. That's got like nitrous oxide in it. No, no, well, that's, that's poisonous in, in certain. It is in, in large enough dosage. Laughing gas. Yeah, is that's actually, what happened yeah. to uh, a little shop of horrors. No, that's correct. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 
So the next li airport on the list is uh, Changi Airport in Singapore, and they have a cactus garden. So for the lovers of cacti, so the cactus garden at Singapore's Changi Airport features more than a hundred species of cacti and arid plants from the deserts and dry areas of Asia, Africa, and America. Located on the roof of Terminal One, visitors can stretch out and bask in the sun. There's even a bar with a garden, so you can indulge in a drink or two as you wander around the prickly pears. <laughs> hmm. Okay, I suppose. No, like it looks time. quite relaxing. Looks quite uh, you know, nice, if you're if you're sitting out in the sun watching the airplanes go by, that's a, that's a good way to kill time. So the next one, Owen, is I, I had a go at this one last year, but oh, the next one, yeah, these are the slot machines at McCarran International Airport, Las Vegas. As soon as you enter Las Vegas, whoa, 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 wait, wait, they have slot machines in Las Vegas. That's a amazing. shock. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, just me. <laughs> as soon as you enter Las Vegas. McCarran International Airport, you are hit by a wave of ringing slot machines. Gamblers can frit away coins at any time of the day. More than 1,500 dispensers are scattered wow, around the terminals, including the baggage reclaim area. And it's said that travellers regularly win six-figure totals, and one lucky player even scooped a $3.9 million payout on the Wheel of Fortune slot. Do you know that's a great way to start your holiday? Or to end <laughs> the holiday? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. that's true. Well, no, because you, you, of the you picture go to Las I've... Vegas, blow all this money, and then... Win it all back. <laughs> come but back the, to... But the picture that to, I've got up uh, is he's actually in baggage reclaim, so it's yeah, just yeah, like, exactly. you know, so it's a great way to start your holiday. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. That's incredible. Oh, it is. It so is. the next one, uh, again, this one is again at Changi Airport, Singapore, and this one's a 40-foot slide. So Singapore Changi's airport boasts the world's tallest slide in an airport. There's any more airport slides. But anyway, <laughs> in a bid to help passengers enjoy their time before taking off while waiting for family members, the tubular attraction is located in Terminal 3 with snazzy lights illuminating it. Slide at Terminal 3, as it's called, stretches over four stories high and speeds tra uh, travellers from top to bottom at a rate of 19 feet per second. Goodness that's pretty me. quick. That's like very that. quick. That yeah. looks really. <laughs> no, that looks. I horrific. bet you there's yeah. more adults on there than there is yeah, children. Yeah, without. Doubt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's yeah. me all the way. Oh yeah. I got to get myself to Singapore. <laughs> so the next one on the list, Owen, is an aquarium at Vancouver International Airport, Ooh. and I got to say this looks absolutely incredible. Uh, Vancouver International Airport in Canada is home to two giant fish tanks. The exhibits installed by Vancouver Aquarium both house a rich collection of marine life native to British Columbia. Some of the creatures housed there are part of the ongoing research studies. The main aquarium on level three of the term, the airport's international terminal is home to 5,000 creatures, including wolf eels, anemones, stripped perch and orange cup corals. Yeah, wow, that, that, that does look uh, a, a very interesting way, a very interesting feature that you could stay at for quite a, a while. It's kind of a thing you'd see in Dubai, and every shopping mall yeah. in Dubai, I think, has a huge aquarium. In oh, it. Um, yeah, we went in a couple of, when we were out there a few years back. But mm. yeah, aquariums are, I, I quite like the aquariums in the, in the buildings that they are in. It's, it looks good, it looks good. So next one on the list. This is a, a special now, one for now you, this, Matt. I could say this looks more like something that yeah, I would be this, very this is This one's yeah. for Matt when he's <laughs> travelling. Uh, yeah. This one is in Hong Kong International Airport. 
and uh, they have got their very own IMAX cinema. Oh, so the IMAX yeah. cinema <laughs> at Hong Kong International Airport features the largest IMAX screen in oh. Hong Kong. Oh. The projection space measures 46 feet high what? and 74 feet wide. Oh, my wide. goodness. Wow. The theatre... <laughs> which can seat 350 viewers, is located on the entertainment zone. God, they have zones. Right, yeah. Of level of Terminal 6, uh, of Terminal two, or level 6 of Terminal 2, with 2D and 3D movies on offer. You have no idea how much I would love to go and watch Guardians of the Galaxy, which will now be my third time uh, in that screen, <laughs> frankly. Do you know what, Matt? We'll, we'll take a, a trip to, uh, to Hong Kong. How about that? Yeah. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> Um, uh, 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 yeah, wh- wh- why not? What's the worst that could happen there? Um, yeah. So moving on to the next one then, Owen. And uh, we're, we're going back to we're going back to Singapore this, again, aren't we? This is uh, my type of a place. This is a rooftop cocktail bar in Singapore Changi <laughs> Airport. Uh, Harry's Bar at Singapore Changi Airport is located on the roof of Terminal 1. Drinkers can order, order libations in the open air while enjoying the sights and sounds of jets flying by oh, overhead. Good. Yeah, yeah, you two would it very is... much enjoy that, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it is open from 6am to midnight daily with signature what? tipples, including a vodka-infused Dirty Harry, a lychee liqueur-inspired Kill Bill, and a punch, punchy jungle juice. Ooh. Hello. <laughs> they sound very potent. They and, do, yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so in other words, you're going to get drunk again before yeah, you fly. Yeah, you're going to get hideously drunk. Yeah, 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 but you Another story for Jet 2, then. At least they don't fly out there, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> now, the next one on the list um, looks absolutely amazing. Uh, this one is in Hamad International Airport in Doha in uh, Qatar. There we go. Uh, this one is in... Qatar. 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 Uh, this one is an indoor swimming pool. Uh, so Hamad International Airport in Doha boasts a top-of-the-range spa facility. Amenities include an indoor swimming pool and a hydrotherapy tub. Oh my there is also a gym for travellers to stretch their legs and, s- and a squash court. Pip, this one's for you, nope. to sweat it out. <laughs> yeah. uh, for a spot of relaxation, there are a range of spa treatments on offer with an anti-jet lag massage being a popular pick. Uh, entry into the airport spa starts at 37 quid. Oh, well, there we go. That's that, not that seems that quite good. That's good. good. Absolutely. Yeah. That, 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 I mean, that, that swimming pool right. looks awesome. It does. It does. Yeah. Right, so yeah. God, we, we need to go out to all these airports. Yeah, anyway, absolutely. so the next one on do. the list. Uh, oh, another, another one for you again at uh, Singapore, Owen. Oh, I love I did, Singapore has become my new favourite airport that I haven't been to. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah this is... <laughs> The Butterfly Park at Singapore Changi Airport. Singapore Changi Airport opened a butterfly garden in 2008, and it is the only airport in the world to have such an attraction. In an airport. In In an airport, yeah. (laughs) It boasts more than a thousand tropical butterflies with 40 different species flying around. The two-story glass-panelled space in Terminal 3 also has lush plants booming from the blooming from the borders and a grotto waterfall almost 20 foot high. Visitors can also witness the breeding and feeding of butterflies at close range, a perfect place to escape the hustle and bustle of the main airport. This this looks insane. I don't know if you've ever been to 
uh, butterfly gardens in the around the UK or in Ireland or wherever. But they are really, really spectacular when you go in and see them. And uh, this this actually brings back quite a lot of memories for me because my first ever flight, the first time I, t- I took uh, the controls of an aircraft, so the, my, my first flying lesson, uh, I can't remember, was it immediately before or immediately after myself and my family went to one of the big, big butterfly gardens in Ireland. And do you know what? It's absolutely incredible. Just like seeing these creatures with really really tiny tiny wings yeah flying around your you know your head when you've been flying yourself in something really really Monstrous. heavy yeah, and absolutely. it's yeah. it's just this oh it's incredible so i mean we, we obviously we've covered some nice airports there's some nice places to go <laughs> uh, and now it's one. now it's just really time to remind everyone um you know about mortality i think that's the best way to describe it so this, is the, this is the one airport on the list that i have actually been to. Oh, is it? So, yes, this, yes. so the <laughs> oh, last no. one the last one on the list uh and the story goes that it, and, and you it remember goes, that feeling we had a minute ago where we we're all elated and yeah. happy right brace yourselves everyone so <laughs> the story goes on then for this particular news part here so and after killing all of that time you can go to brussels airport and visit a morgue so it's clearly not an attraction as such but since we're on the subject of quirky <laughs> airport facilities it deserves a mention brussels uh, airport has its own 24 7 mortuary and funeral always parlor good to know for dealing with death in transit right. it opened in 2005 <laughs> after growing demand for on-site services obviously the commuter hub handles hundreds of dead bodies every year, and the directors of the mortuary wanted to provide a way of dealing with the remains in a more respectful way. <laughs> Staff can speak seven languages, including Dutch, French, German, English, Spanish, Italian, and Arabic. There's also a waiting area and a theatre-style room for services. A statement on the mortuary website reads, We organise the repatriation of the deceased regardless of the country where the death occurred or the country of destination and regardless of the nationality or religion of the deceased in other words worldwide so they've done it for over 30 years fast efficient and in close consultation with the next of kin so that's an interesting one there yeah, so I don't there we are. Think moving on it would be <laughs> Everyone's... I don't think it would be on my to-do list top no. 10 list of things to well, do no, at an I, I know that most airports do have a morgue uh, I just don't think that it's a f- that they have a funeral parlor <laughs> and also uh, it, staff on call 24-7. I think that part is rather unusual. Nevis just said in the chat room there, ooh, an AV opportunity. Give them my number, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the mention of theatre, wasn't it? You know, yeah. what they say. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I hope you enjoyed yeah. that uh, shortened mm. news segment this week, but it is obviously because we have got yeah, to guest uh, yeah, on the busy show and everything. Yeah. But so we've got uh, next coming up for you a segment from our Pilot Pip. Indeed, yes. And uh, this week's segment is all about uh, what Pilot Pip does while he's in the cruise in his Hawker 800, which, um, well, isn't a lot really, I suppose. <gasps> How rude. I know. <laughs> so if, uh, if we're all ready, we're going to sit back and relax and uh, we'll have this little short segment from Pilot Pip. Plane safety from the flight deck with Pilot Pip. Hi everyone, it's Pip here with another segment. I've got a few hours here in my hotel room this morning before I head off down to southern Italy, down to Naples this afternoon on the lovely Amalfi Coast. 
it's always a nice approach into Naples if the weather's good. Uh, some lovely views of Mount Vesuvius, that old volcano which is apparently rumbling back into life, big old super volcano, which will one day in the coming centuries no doubt erupt and cause all sorts of trouble for us. Hopefully not today though. But I was flying around yesterday up in the cruise and I was wondering what on earth I might talk about for this segment on today's show. And then I thought, hang on, I'll talk about what it is I do in the cruise. Which the short answer is, not much. Do the crossword, read a book, look out the window mostly. But actually I jest a little bit. There is a little bit more to it than that. But it can be quite tedious, as you can imagine, sitting there uh, for hours on end. Now for me, the longest flights I do... Uh, four hours is uh, is not rare, four and a half hours, occasionally a little bit longer, five, even five and a half hours sometimes, uh, which is a lot for me, but if you're Captain Nick or one of those long-haul boys, then that's a positively quick trip. You can imagine sitting up there for 10, 12, 15 hours or even more. It's, uh, it's quite brain-numbing, and you need to find something to do to, to keep you occupied and keep your alertness levels up. Uh, but there are a number of things that we're, of course, required to do. Company rules dictate that we do certain things, and of course, common sense and airmanship requires that we, we monitor various systems. So here's just a, a little selection of the things we regularly do up in the cruise to keep things ticking along smoothly. Um, so checking the weather would be the first uh, obvious thing. Now, of course, we, we check the weather for our destination and our alternates, but it's also a pretty good idea to have a good understanding of what the weather's doing along your route, along some of the airports that you might want to divert into if things go wrong. Now the way I manage this, uh, we have the function within our avionics to select any airport or any uh, anything really, any navade, any IFR waypoints, any airports, and we can put it into the system and we can create a range ring around that point so, for instance, I might pick an airport, I might pick Frankfurt, and I can create a circle that I can see on my map display, and I can choose the size of that circle. So it might be 10 miles, or it could be up to 300 miles. So what I like to do, I'll pick certain airports along the route, and I'll put a range circle around them based on the worst-case scenario. So if we had a, a double-engine failure, for instance, and we needed to glide to an airport, so if uh, we're up at 40,000 feet, then I'll typically put a, a 90 or maybe a 100-mile circle around that airport, which roughly coincides to the glide distance at that, that altitude. If we're a little bit lower, then I'll put a smaller circle around it. So I'll choose a number of airports along the route that we might want to divert into. And of course, there's a bit of a thought process that goes along with choosing which airports you might go to. Um, if we're out in... Uh, Russia way than a lot of the airports there um, don't speak English so it's, it's important to try and find the ones that that you are going to be most useful uh, easiest to operate into so having chosen some airports you then want to check the weather at those airports it's no good going barreling into uh, an airport if it's closed with almost zero visibility and fog and snow and all the rest of it so uh, the more clever aeroplanes out there you can use your ACARS or some data link system to automatically download the weather. My aeroplane's not quite that clever, so we have to tune in to the ATIS, the uh, Automatic Terminal Information System, I think that stands for, and we'll listen to the weather and write it down. So if the worst does happen, if we get an engine failure or a fire or some sort of 
depressurization event we're not wasting time trying to work out which is the best airport to go to we already know which one's the best one and we've got the weather for it we know which runway's in use and we can just crack on and get in there as quickly as possible so that's one thing we like to do then checking weather and uh, having an idea of what's around what other airports are there what else do we do up in the cruise uh, well fuel monitoring is obviously a big part of it as you can imagine we are required to regularly check the levels of fuel on board and making sure that we've got the required minimums and the required reserves when we get to our destination airports and as a minimum what we need to do we need to check the fuel at the top of climb so after we've taken off and we've reached our cruise level we need to check the fuel levels then and compare them to um, what we expect to have versus the the flight plan we also need to check the fuel levels at the top of descent so before we start down towards our destination and at least once every hour en route uh, now if you're only doing a very short flight an hour hour and a half then you might only get those three fuel checks in but on longer uh, routes you certainly want to keep a close eye on it so what I tend to do at any major turning points I'll uh, make a note of how much fuel we've got on board and then compare that to the flight plan so on the flight plan we'll have every single IFR waypoint with the fuel we would expect to have at that point based on the starting fuel so we can write down what we've actually got at that point and we can see against the flight plan if we're burning the expected amount of fuel or if we're saving a bit of fuel or if we're burning a little bit more fuel than we plan to in which case we might need to do something about it perhaps we're going faster than the fuel plan uh, had specified or maybe we're flying at a, a low altitude due to some ATC restriction and therefore burning a little bit more fuel uh, and if that becomes significant then we'll obviously need to take some action we'll need to look ahead to see if we're going to have the required legal minimum fuel levels uh, upon arrival at our destination airfield and again that's going to be more of a, a critical exercise for the long-range chaps who are arriving after a, a long long trip with minimum fuel so they need to look very closely at that uh, for us on the shorter trips and especially for me at safe jets because as a policy we tend to tank extra fuel uh, we've generally got more than enough motion lotion as we call it to keep us going but still common sense airmanship dictates that you're keeping a very close eye on your fuel levels and of course more than that some aircraft types may require you to regularly move fuel around the the aircraft to keep the 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 trim and the the center of gravity within specified limits uh, we have to do that a little bit uh, the Hawker has three fuel tanks the two main wing tanks and we also have a smaller tank in the back of the aircraft which doesn't always get used uh, but if there is fuel in there it needs to be transferred into the the wing tanks before the overall aircraft weight reaches a, a certain point during the cruise otherwise we'll be out of our CFG limits for landing but other aircraft going back to, for instance on the Concorde that was very crucial that they had to move fuel around the, the aircraft constantly to keep the, the center of gravity uh, within very well-defined limits uh, what else might we do en route uh, tuning nav aids uh, and monitoring our navigational progress across the route is something we do now again across Europe on those shorter routes it's all very simple we're often going direct from uh, one point to the other we're not necessarily following airways based on uh, navigational aids like VORs but it is good practice and again we're required to by our, by our SOPs to manually tune and 
monitor uh, VORs, en route VORs. In fact, the aircraft will automatically in the background be tuning various nav aids, be tuning into DMEs, that's distance measuring equipment, tuning into VORs, TACANs, and all that kind of thing, and automatically updating its system and, and monitoring its cross track error. But we can also do that ourselves. We can manually tune on our navigational uh, frequencies on the comms box, we can tune into local VORs and we can monitor our progress compared to them. If you're really fancy, you could start marking it all down on charts, taking a, a bearing and a distance of a VOR or an NDB even, and plotting it in on, on a chart. Uh, the, the problem with that these days is that, we, as I say, we tend not to track to or from VORs that much. We'll often get very long directs from one IFR waypoint to the other, um, particularly over Europe where it's all centrally controlled. So um, it wouldn't be particularly uncommon to uh, once you're up in the cruise be given an instruction to go to direct to some IFR waypoint 500 miles away. So the, the FMS is clever enough to work out exactly which direction to track in to do that. But that would be a job for the pilot non-flight, in fact the pilot monitoring, slap myself on the wrist there, pilot monitoring we call it these days. Uh, that would be something for him to do to, as we go along the route, use the charts, have a look, see which navigational aids are nearby and tune into them and uh, just monitor our position. Now I mentioned charts there. These days, or at least at my company and a lot of other companies, we've now done away with the paper charts, the old big Jefferson paper charts that you can fold out. It's like struggling with an old broadsheet newspaper, these huge things that will you could probably build a tent out of. These days we have it all electronically on our iPads, which in some ways is very good, but there are some disadvantages to that. The old paper charts were very good for looking up uh, additional information. Uh, on the iPad it's all it's, it's a little bit hidden if you want to look up some frequencies for instance or some some en route uh, data you need to know what um, sort of submenus to go into and it can be quite fiddly. Uh, something you really need to use very regularly to uh, be familiar with it and, and the truth is although we're required to have those charts with us on board and we do of course and they get updated regularly on those shorter routes you don't often get them out to be honest we'll have a look at them at the beginning of the flight when we put the flight plan into the iPad just have a general look at the route make sure it makes sense um, but during the cruise yeah we're not getting them out that much and monitoring them that closely to be honest it's good to have it there uh, and you can you know you can grab it if you need it but we don't tend to use it too much. Again, for the long haul boys, that will be quite different, especially on those long ocean crossings. They'll be um, regularly plotting their position on paper charts, typically the old uh, North Atlantic plotting charts, for instance, uh, where you're required to be reporting in at particular longitudes and latitudes. You'll be plotting all of those on a chart with a pencil, uh, doing it the old fashioned way. But uh, for us, or for me at least, we don't use it too often. But the very nice thing with those iPad-derived uh, charts is you can zoom in and you can zoom out on the chart, which is obviously you can't do that on a paper chart, but you can zoom in and you can look at particular airports along the route. You can just click on the airport and it will come up with all the airport diagrams and all the airport charts, which is very handy. Uh, all in all, having all this stuff electronically, all the charts, the JEP charts, the approach charts, the en-route maps on an iPad really does save a, a lot of space, a lot of weight. Um, 
and it saves you having to unfold these massive charts out in the confines of a small flight deck. Now I'm sure there's lots of other stuff that we do en route but uh, it mostly involves looking out the window and complaining about our management so I won't go into that too much. Um, well listen I guess this is the last show before the guys head off to Pittsburgh next week I'm sure they're uber excited well maybe Matt's a bit cooler about it because Matt's a generally pretty cool guy whereas Carlos is a child trapped in a man's body I'm sure he's hopping up and down with excitement um, I'd love to be able to go there but it's not going to work out for me I'm going to be I'm going to be camping in Wales yay so much better than going to Pittsburgh isn't it <sighs> anyway guys and everyone else going I uh, hope you have a wonderful time in Pittsburgh uh, I'm so jealous hope the weather's nice and I'm sure you're going to have a great time uh, I don't know if the guys are producing a show live from Pittsburgh. I'm sure they will. Yes, yes, uh, we are. Yeah. Can't wait to hear that one. But until I speak to you all again next time, take care and fly safe. Bye. Uh and Matt's really hoping that Pilot Pip is going to send us a nice little segment that we can play out as part of our show when we are in Pittsburgh. So uh, fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah. Hinted. <laughs> yeah, hinted, he says, subtle as a sledgehammer. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening flyby 5823 trent dane for 23rm manchester with air 6x climb flight level 210 direct to britman's park United 123, maintain 280 knots. Turn to 2TME, turn right onto Bravo, link 21, join Alpha, hold at Mora. Speedbird 472, LOC, DME, approach runway 27 left. Follow the green stand 544. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on. Aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. 
Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> so our guest this week on the show is a very well-versed pilot. Uh, she's flown uh, or instructed on the 747-400, the 200 series, 767, 757, 737, 727. So basically anything that Boeing have made. Oh, that's, a, that's a pretty huge list. I know. <laughs> and also the A330 aircraft. Uh, she's been a pilot for 38 years uh, and worked for uh, many different airlines, including Braniff, which you, most people would have heard of Braniff, and uh, Tower Air, Northwest Airline. And uh, currently flies for an international airline and is based at LAX on the Boeing 777, awaiting training. She holds an MBA and MHS degrees and is a doctoral candidate in aviation at the ERAU. Her passion is aviation safety with a focus on pilot training for next-gen operations. So welcome on to the show, Carleen Pettit. Thank you so much for having me. It's very good as we have you on. We've, we've, we've got uh, some uh, pilot royalty on the show this week, I will say. I mean, it, I mean, is there anything you, you haven't flown, Carlene? <laughs> yes, but there's nothing that I haven't wanted to fly, so let's put it that way. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us uh, tonight, Carlene. It's, it's nice to have you on and uh, have, a, have a chat with you because uh, for those of you who, who don't follow Carlene online, you should do because she's also a very, very uh, uh, well-established author as well and has written some very nice books which you should all get on and, and buy and read Absolutely. links to those details will be coming up later yes <laughs> so we've got uh, some questions to uh, to ask you on the show uh, this week Carlene and so we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna crack straight on with a few questions for you then so the, uh, the your aviation passion Carlene where did it start sort of the early flying days and the aircraft you first flew well, my aviation pa passion actually started because I knew nothing about aviation and I was playing a game called Careers with my girlfriends that you could, this was at nine years old, by the way, and you could be a librarian, a school teacher, a model, a nurse, or a hostess. And for, for all the younger uh, viewers, a hostess is like precursor flight attendant, precursor stewardess. And I was told by my uh, girlfriend, you can't be a pilot. Well, first off, I couldn't get on the spot, so I said, I'm going to be the pilot. And she said, you can't be a pilot. Girls can't do that. And I said, yes, they can. She said, no, they can't. Yes, they can. We got in this huge fight. So my dad said they can't be a pilot. So ironically, eight, years or eight airlines later, and I don't want to say 40-some years later, I am actually working for the airline of this, my girlfriend, whose dad said girls can't be pilots. So I kind of went full circle, but that's what started it, just because of a challenge saying that I couldn't. And then I told everyone I could, started earning my money. And I'll tell you, when I first got in that uh, 172, I went out and paid my, I think at the time it was $10 to go to that introductory flight. And the wow. instructor walked me around and showed me the aircraft, and we got on the runway. And then he said, you have it. And I go, I don't have it. I don't know how to fly. And he says, no, you have it. And I'm going to show you how to do this. And so he talked me through putting in a, uh, pushing in the throttle and using my feet to steer. And the minute we broke ground, that moment, 
I thought, I mean, you could not wipe the smile off my face. I thought, wow, they're going to pay me to do this. And I was hooked. Is absolutely hooked. And so actually, that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. I've been hosting uh, flights for for pilots that are just the normal people come out and take a free flight. And we've got a cadre of incredible people over the years bringing their aircraft into, um, you know, maybe anywhere from six to 10. We have the retired CEO at Alaska Airlines. He brings his Malibu out and gives free flights to kids um, and hope to inspire them for the same event that I had. So we've been doing that for about 10 years. I've flown give it, gifted flights to thousands of kids, and it's really fun now seeing them come back to me and now that they're actually flying. Wow. So, yeah. So from the PPL, obviously you passed and you, you got your PPL. Yeah. Um, when, how, when did it progress from there for the commercial? Obviously you got your commercial license and your multi-engine and... Yeah, and I did that while I was in high school, by the way. So I made that decision, and then I ran out to career counselor, and they said, uh, you can't be a pilot. Um, girls can't do that. You've got to go to the military to be a pilot. And I thought, no, I don't think so. So I just went out, and I did the general aviation route. Earned all my ratings while in high school, and then I decided that I was going to – I had the plan. As you can tell, I'm kind of a planner. I'd go to college, get um, all my ratings, get my college degree, go fly for an airline. And I ended up kind of doing things backwards because I met the man that would soon be my husband. We've been married for 36 years, by the way, and have three grown children. So my plans kind of altered a little bit. And so what I did is I had my children while I was attending college. And then after they were born, then I went out and decided that I was going to, you know, go fly. Now, my plan started a little bit earlier because I intended on waiting until they got into grade school. But I was working on my flight engineer reading at the time, which back then we had to do it. And at night after I got the kids to bed, I would go over to this training center and where I was getting the rating. And, and that's where Evergreen was doing training. And I said, and it was on 727, and I said, hey, do you mind if I come in and observe your check ride? And explained to him what I was doing and that I had never been, you know, part of an operating crew. And I just knew the academics, not the full concept of what they doing. They were doing. And they said, sure, come on in. And so I sat back of the simulator like a quiet little mouse, and I watched this choreographed play while they were giving the captain, you know, failing engines on them, hydraulic problems, and how they worked together as a crew. And I did that for two nights in a row. The third night I went out there, and they had a different crew, and the flight engineer didn't show up. And they had professional flight engineers at the time, and they were going to cancel the training. And I said, I don't have a rating yet. And I said, but... I watched the last two nights. I said, I could work the panel for you and read your checklist. And, and they kind of looked at each other. And it turned out it was one of the chief pilots who was in the love seat getting his training. And he said, sure, if you want to. So I actually was an operating crew during the chief pilot's check ride on this uh, training session for Evergreen and did this. And so we went through and I worked. I actually did it for him to, for two nights in a row and everything went great. And then about a month later, they called and asked if I wanted to come work for him. And um, that was an interesting phone call because they said, do you mind being uh, based in a Terre Haute? And I said, absolutely not. And then I hung up the phone and asked my husband, where's Terre Haute? <laughs> I had no idea. You know? But um, I said the right questions and I went in and they, um, they had to give me a simulator session to see if I was trainable because they were hiring me as a first officer in the 727, not as a flight engineer. And they wanted to see if I could fly. And so that's where it started. And it went from Evergreen, and I made the big career choice to get checked out on the 747 at Evergreen, 
or go to Braniff. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go fly for an airline instead of cargo. And I, I went over to Braniff, and then I went through Braniff's bankruptcy. Then I went down to America West, their training department, and I was still qualified in the 73757 instructing and kind of found I had a passion for teaching, and I loved it. And so then I was recruited in my side job to help put these uh, three kids in through college was uh, sim instructing for another company. And I went and put down... Uh, it was down in Guyana Airways. They were putting 757 in service. So I went down and put their program together. And, and the airline path, in my book, Flight to Success, I kind of have a, the chain of what happened in, in my entire career for the choices I made. But these airlines kept closing down, and then it would push me on to the next. Um, so I ended up flying at Tower Air, right seat on the 747. That was quite an experience. And then went over to Northwest Airlines and went through their merger. So it's been an absolutely fun busy, and exciting career a busy yeah, career yeah. i think carlene it definitely sounds yeah. like a busy career you've had so yeah one of the questions that we've just had a, ch a question in from the chat room going, going back to what you were talking about where like your girlfriends were saying you can't fly an airplane don't be silly type thing uh, what uh, um tony s has asked a great question actually what advice would you give to any young girls who are interested in getting into aviation i mean what what route would you recommend i would absolutely tell them to go for it and um you know, get your get your education. That's probably the biggest thing. Is right now the airlines require most of them require college education, and because it's the industry is in such flux, and you don't know. You know, you could even lose your medical. You don't know if your that job's going to be long term. So get your college degree, but get it in something that you have a passion for and that you love. And if you love uh, computers, I would say go that route because our world is going to computers. So you can <laughs> do both. You don't have to get a. Uh, necessarily get a degree that is aviation related but I say do what you love get that passion and then go fly um, and there's a lot of ab initio schools that are uh, what they are is their colleges that you can go through and you can get your degree and you can learn to fly to fly at the same time and then those if you go that route you have to the requirement for hours is limited a little bit in the US so but I'd say do it, and there's great support systems. You know, the this actually the shirt I'm wearing right now, you can't really see it. That's a little 99 um, thing. The 99 group, I never joined them. They're general aviation. Reach out to a 99 group in your area. They're worldwide, and they're fabulous. And I had never joined because of the stigma when I was flying that the, the guys would say, oh, so you belong to one of those women groups? I'm like, no, 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 because I wanted to be a pilot, not a woman pilot. I was trying to transcend this male-female thing. But the reality is, is the 99s and all the women groups, they're very supportive and they will, they're not just for women only guys, you can join them too. And they have scholarships available. They're the general aviation uh, gurus. They're out there helping the airports are doing things and there's always somebody with an airplane that would love to let you fly it with them. So it's really a good route. Uh, Jennifer in the uh, chat room has said that uh, you'll be pleased to know, uh, Carleen, that uh, her daughter will be doing a Young Eagles flight in June, and she's extremely excited about it. Absolutely. That's great. That's wonderful. So moving on then to uh, to the next question then uh, on uh, we've got here for you on the list. So uh, so you move on to the big airlines, so obviously the flying the big, uh, big airline types and stuff. Um, so the types you've flown, we obviously went through all the Boeing products. You've flown, obviously, the classic 747, the 200. 
uh, and the newer 747-400 plus the 7.6 and 7.5, which are awesome aircraft as well. But uh, have you uh, have you got a favourite between obviously because you fly the obviously the A330 you've flown as well? Is there because there is a kind of a jovial divide between Airbus and Boeing people is on there? the show? Do you know I uh, hadn't noticed. <laughs> 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 we and we often uh, we have a bit of funny banter between uh, the various people in the chat room plus our guests as well. So, is there a favourite at all you've got, Carleen? You, you know, on the spot. You know, uh, Airbus or Boeing? Yes, there is a favourite. I'm going <laughs> to tell you, there is not an airplane that I have not liked flying. I've loved flying them all, but my favourite is the would be the 747-400. Okay. Yes. I, is, I mean, is there a reason why perhaps you prefer that over, uh, over say, something from Airbus or whatever? I mean, is there something in particular? Because Carleen that likes to fly a plane. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> real. Well, natural. okay. We, we have a couple, you know, it depends how clean we want to keep this, but when airplanes come, size is an issue because right. it's so <laughs> awesome to take that huge airplane. I mean, just think Indeed. about it. Yeah. In no, a 750,000 pound machine into the sky. It's pretty awesome to yeah. think about it. But <laughs> But the reality is the Boeing uh, 747-400, it's such a nice combination between traditional flying that you still have stick rudder, uh, you're trimming the airplane, and so you mm. still have the old school controls on it, but then yeah. you have the glass, which yeah. supplements safety, and you have all the automation with it, which is a nice you know, add-on. Mm. But for, for understanding and for old school stick and rudder, it's kind of what I grew up with, so it's a comfort, mm. but it transitions you into the glass too. But between the two, the, the 400 and the 200 series, is, is there a favorite between those two? Obviously, they're completely different uh, inside techn you know, technology-wise, but do you not, did you not love to fly the old classic 200? I do, but you know the interesting thing is there's really not a different technology. I was a uh, flight engineer, or we'll call it second officer instructor mm. on that 747 for so many years, and I think what I loved about the 747-400 is because, and I zipped through training because I understood everything, because what they did is they took my job in that back seat and everything that I did, and they automated me, and they put me in the overhead panel on the 747-400. <laughs> So everything that the system was doing, I'm going, oh, I know why it does that, because I used to do that back at the panel. So it's, as far as airplane flu flying, it's, you know, it flies relatively the same to me as, you know, the feeling to me. But um, sadly, it's a, a getting rid of a job. But it was nice being an engineer, because you learn a lot from sitting at that panel from the people in front of you. Mm. Not only what you should do, but maybe some things you may not do in the future. But, <laughs> but I'm glad I had the opportunity to do that. It was great. Uh, we've got a question from our, our house-trained pilot, uh, a safety expert, uh, Pilot Pip. Uh, he's asked, uh, he's got a question for you. He says, have you, have you seen a change in attitude over your time in the airlines towards women pilots from your male pilot colleagues? Well, that's kind of a loaded question. And yes, I have. It, it has changed quite a bit. But you know what the interesting thing is, as I was flying with a uh, captain years ago, and he said, you know, Carlene, we're hiring a lot better women these days. And I said... I don't think so. We're hiring the same women. And you know what the difference is, is, is today they, we work as a team, we work as a crew, and we work together. Back then when the women were flying, it was kind of like they put their bricks in our flight bags and, and let us go solo pilot in the big machine. So there ha has been a difference um, significantly. We still have a long way to go, long way to go, but not so much with the flight crews. The, the flight crews are pretty awesome working with them. It's mm. it's more of a culture with different airlines, I would say. Yeah. So, Carlin, you fly one of my the uh, the second most favourite aircraft on my list of 
most favourite aircraft in the world. So the 757, um, I mean, that is a favourite of quite a few pilots. Uh, who, who did you fly that for? I actually instructed on that at America West, and then I flew that for Guyana Airways. Oh, and wow. I put, actually put, I was a director of training down at Guyana, so I had the opportunity to teach ground school, simulator, and then work as a, a Czech airman on the aircraft. So. It has a nickname as a, as a pocket rocket. It's uh, very overpowered, so, so the pilots say. I'm guessing that's uh, fairly true. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we, we, had ours, we had ours fully loaded coming out of Guyana into New York, I'll tell you, though. They maxed that thing out. <laughs> But it's Rolls Royce powered. That's why. <laughs> decent is, engine. Yeah. Decent engines. So uh, <laughs> no, that's terrible. I know. <laughs> so next, uh, next question for you, uh, Carlina. So a little bit about uh, obviously because uh, the, the passion for aviation, safety pilot training. So what what's the uh, the safety pilot training part all about that you do? Yeah, I actually. Um I'm going back to school at Emory-Riddle Aeronautical University, and I'm getting my PhD in aviation with a safety focus. And where that started is because when I transitioned from the Boeing into the Airbus, uh, we shifted from traditional training into AQP for the listeners. It's uh, aircraft qualification procedures. And what I've been watching is as more automated the aircraft become, the training gets cut back shorter. And so they're shifting the training. Pilots are now teaching themselves aircraft systems at home. They're going in and, and we no longer sit with an FAA examiner to assess whether we have a full understanding of the aircraft. We're taking a computer test, which select A, B, C, D. And so we're, how we are training for these automated aircraft is under the premise that the aircraft is so reliable, nothing will ever happen and the pilots don't need to know. And what's gonna happen is when that plane breaks, the question will be, will they need to know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and you look at every incident and every accident that occurs, they blame pilot air on this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and it's if you threw somebody in the river who didn't know how to swim, it's not their fault they drowned, you know, if, if they haven't been given the tools. And so what I'm researching now is what is really behind. I mean, the Office Inspector General came out in 2016 and said that pilots uh, were, no, were losing our flight skills and that we don't have the ability to monitor the aircraft and relax systems understanding. And I found all these reports of these human errors that are made by pilots. And I contend that it's not pilot error if we're not provided the tools. So I'm trying to gather the data through my research to show what the contributing factors are to help take away this, you know, and I call it the blame factor because we're blaming the the last person at the control of this aircraft when if you don't provide them the tools and the, and the ability and the skills and the practice situation what more can they do we can only do what we can do so very very much passion of mine go on this route so you you've obviously you were talking before we start to show you you've got like a questionnaire thing you've got via website we're going to put some links in the show notes for that which uh, you can have questionnaires for pilots aren't you to do all to do with the safety aspect that you're covering there Right, because when I do my research, I'm in the approval process right now, and when I get approved and get the uh, International Review Board to approve this, then what I'm going to do is provide a survey, and I'm going to need a minimum of 1,600 pilots, and I can have corporate, uh, commercial, I mean airline corporate charter, and you just the only qualifications you have to work with the two crew or more. Uh, group, it's been completely anonymous because I know from my experience there's a lot of fear with pilots speaking out 
against their company training, against what they're receiving. So it's completely anonymous. It will not take, I'm not taking any names. I'm not taking any airlines. I just want to gather the data and and see how they answer these questions. And so on my on my blog, on my website, I have a little, little informational link right now with my email address to say, if you're interested in participating in this, send me an email and just say pilot survey and I'm going to pop you into the list because and it's really going to be something that I think will greatly impact and benefit the pilots and the safety of our system going forward, especially with next gen and, and more automation, everything. It's uh, through my research, they found out that, or somebody said that between 2020 and 2025, we're going to have an unprecedented set of accidents. And you know who they're going to blame? The pilots. pilots and it's, yeah. you know, and so I'm just such a pilot advocate, a safety advocate. And, you know, and I've got eight grandchildren and my kids, my daughters, and my grandkids are on airplanes all the time. I want safety for everyone. Exactly. The question for you on the, on the talk of safety, Carly, we've got a question from uh, Neville Bounds. Uh, Neville's asking uh, about cockpit automation. Uh, do you encourage manual handling skills when flying? Um, uh, well, that's the problem with automation is because we are training our pilots to just use the automation and, and, and without the training of the manual skills. And so you're never going to get it. And there's some circumstances which we're prevented if we're in RVSM airspace, we've got to use it in certain approaches as next gen pushes more, allows more aircraft into the system and we have t tighter clearances between each other, they're going to be mandated to use automation. So there's little time for us to use those manual flying skills and they are being decreased because we're not using them. Um, you know, and so it is, you know, if you say safety or not, utilizing automation is actually is say a safer course of action and you want to do the safest especially if you're fatigued from flying all night, you're in an unusual uh, you know, aircraft, an unusual area. If I'm in, from Seattle and I'm flying over into Paris and we've got the strong accidents, high congestion, early morning, you've been flying all night, automation and backing each other up is, is going to be the safest course. But we still need to have those skills. And we have these great training devices that those skills should be utilized in those simulators. So we're, we are losing them, mm -hmm. but we are not really being provided the opportunity to practice where we need to practice. Manual all the way flying. That's what I say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even though we didn't do much of that in the simulator no, the other no, week, no, we, no, we uh, not until about yes. three thousand feet anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, a question weird. from uh, Imogen King in the chat room, Carlene. She's asked, uh, "What's the furthest you've ever flown?" Oh, the furthest I've ever flown. Um, I actually flew in a five-day period from. Um, does she mean long term? I, I went from Seattle to Narita to Singapore to Mumbai and then Goodness went backwards, me. came back the same way. And then the next uh, three days later, I went from Seattle to Amsterdam to Mumbai. So I kind of think that I went around the world within a week, just back and forth. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So the, at the moment, you're, uh, you're flying for ACME. Are you flying the, the, the 777 is at the moment? I have not been trained. I'm waiting training. So waiting I'm training? officially on 777, but I'm waiting training. So this time is giving me ability to work on my research. So at the moment, uh, what's your, your aircraft of choice now for your uh, flying? We'll find out. We'll find out if it's going to be the 777. I think that, I think that might be... Well, here's the thing. I'm really looking forward to it because the Airbus, A330, the difference between that, we don't auto trim. That thing auto trims. We don't trim it. And it's kind of a point and shoot. I think the 777 
is a combination, if I could say anything without doing this yet, is a combination between the 747-400 and a little bit more fly-by-wire technology that the Airbus uses. So it would be interesting to fly that and really get a feel to see what it's like. But you know what I'm doing? I'm actually buying a, a 777 simulator that I will um, start playing with it at home. Because I'm wow. interested to see <laughs> if how that how these desktop simulators really prepare somebody. If, if it'll be a difference doing that going into the training, as my other type ratings when I didn't have any, that just dire went directly in and see if there's a difference. So the next, uh, before we move on to the next question, Carleen, on the subject of the 747, are you a bit upset now that obviously the, they're now starting to, a lot of the airlines are starting to phase out the, uh, the 400 series? Is that, uh, is that kind of a bit, bit uh, you know, upsetting? It is. It's very sad. It's very sad they're taking away that beautiful aircraft. But you know what? It makes sense. It's like four, two engines are much more efficient than four. So. Yeah, it's still yeah. sad. It is very sad. It's yeah. like, you know what's really sad? If you ever had an opportunity to go down what they call the boneyard and look at all these parked oh, aircraft. Oh, yeah. yeah, I bet. That's on my bucket list of places to go Yeah, <laughs> in the world, yeah. So, Carleen, a little bit about the uh, the books, because obviously you're an author as well, and uh, you, you own Jetstar Publishing. So a bit about the books and stuff that you've written, because we can see just behind you there, you've got some of the books that you've Yes, uh, you've yes. Yeah, um, well, you know what? I, I'm surprised I'm you have time. <laughs> Do what? I'm surprised you have time to, to write books, you know, with all the flying you've done. Well, you know what the thing is, is as everyone has their fun and their, and their passion, they love to do it. I don't sit and watch television. I love writing, and I think it's fun, and it's actually a very good outlet. And people write because of, you know, different reasons. Is it to, to educate, to train, to inspire, and or to solve a problem? And my first novel, um, you know, I was always wanting to write, and... I'm thinking, okay, which way do I go? And my first novel really pulled into the issues of what was going on in our world, pension loss for the flight crew. Uh, it was kind of the, they were changing the, to the 1,500-hour rule. Airlines were filing bankruptcy. They were merging. And I was thinking, wow, how much stress can you put on the flight crew before it goes into the cockpit? Because we all know stress is going gonna, is gonna to create uh, incidents. And so then I started looking, you know, what about mental health? What if we really don't have any provisions in place to keep a mentally unstable pilot out of the cockpit? What if they slipped in? And so this is where this, um, my first book, Flight for Control, um, came about. And I had the opportunity to go to Hawaii Writers Conference and work with uh, William Bernhardt, who's an absolutely fabulous instructor. And, and so this book took off. And what happened was, and where Jetstar Publishing came about, was... I was um, met with an agent, and she owns Serendipity Books, but she's also a pilot, and she was part owner in an aircraft back in New York, and she loved aviation, loved passion, and she understood the reality of what was going on within the pages of my novel, and I actually have three real airline crashes that I have changed how they happened, but not why they happened, and so I worked those into real fiction, real airline crashes, and I... And I to make them a little fun, yes, there is sex involved in my books, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and yeah, and so, but I but I made them really fun read, but real reality based, and and so this gal she reads it and she says, you need to publish this right now. She says, if I took this today and sold it tomorrow, it would not get into the market for two years, 
and that's the reality of the publishing industry. Unless you're unless you're famous or you know somebody, your book's not going to get in that quickly. And she said, you need to self-publish this. I don't want you to lose your rights to any of your characters. Everybody who's on Twitter knows Darby uh, Darby Bradshaw, my main pilot in this. They love Darby. You know, she has, her Twitter handle is Darby Flies, but. Um, you know, she says, don't lose your characters. And so what I did is I started researching and looking into these self-publishing, and I saw what they were doing, and I saw some of the products that were coming out, and I thought, nah, why can't I do this? And so I created Jetstar Publishing to, for a means to bring my books to life. And I've also found that there's numerous books that were not accepted because of political reasons. <laughs> And yeah, which is fascinating. And so we're and, not. And I'm we're sure. Just I'm sure. Give, I guess I'm sure. Given the, the the way that things are, are currently panning out in the states with regard to political uh, um, control, should we say? I'm sure that's got a lot easier uh, since somebody became in charge. But we'll, we'll, well, you would be surprised. <laughs> You'd be surprised what's going on in some of the uh, organizations and the politics and what they think that they can get away with today. So. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So anyway, so Jetstar Publishing came about to do, you know, to bring to life my books. Uh, the second one in my series is Flight for Safety, and that was a merger between two airlines. And to, to and it's a series, and so you can read each independently, but it's kind of fun if you start at the beginning. And that really brought into more of a theme. You know, the first one was mental health, human factors, and people's lives. What taking a pension and shutting down an airline is going to do to a life of a human being. And then we went into this merger. And through this merger, my one of my characters, she ends up transitioning from Boeing to Airbus. And so we go into the training of this. And we all know that Air France pulled their A330 out of the ocean because a pilot stalled that aircraft at altitude. And everybody yeah. wonders, how could that pilot do this? Well, this addresses the training issue, goes in behind the scenes of corporations and, and what's going on with with training in these automated aircraft. And then after all the bad stuff happens in that, the murder and the sex and the violence, then we transition <laughs> to flight for survival. And now my two characters are just trying to survive this. And and so, um, and it merges into safety culture and safety management systems and where we're going with next gen. And then the fourth novel that actually just came out in February, which so far everybody says, um, is the best of all of them, a flight for sanity. And this is what happens when individuals within this airline environment decide that they're going to try and, and create a safe environment, work towards the retaliation of what these airlines are doing to employees. And I used to say that my books were, um, the only fiction was the murder, the sex, and the sinister plot. But now we're kind of getting down to the only fiction is the murder and the sex. Because some, some of the sinister plots are, are somewhat coming about. Um, the interesting thing is in my novels, you know, granted, um, the first one I used real accidents that happened. But the other ones, I wrote incidents that occurred. And, and then later, an accident did occur that appeared in my book. But the incident had already happened. It just didn't manifest into the accident. Um, Asiana crashing in San Francisco is a perfect example. I had flight for safety in the hands of my editor the, the day that that news flash came up when they crashed short. And he called me and said, how did you know? I had almost identical crew complement, check airman in the right seat, a new captain in the left, only difference it was an A330 coming from a 777. And so... so um, you know, people are, oh, your books are coming through. And, and they're not really coming true. It's just when you're living inside the industry mm -hmm. and you see what's going on. 
and you can it's kind of like predictive safety that's where we're trying to go we see problems and we're trying to be proactive we can see it we predict it and we be proactive to stop it and so that's really where my um, my novels are going I'm actually working on the fifth flight for justice oh wow so yeah it's gonna be really good too I uh, just going to ask a, 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 another lovely question from Imogen. Now, Imogen, bless her, is only eight. Uh, and, uh, and she's asked the question, how difficult is it to fly? It is so, um, so easy. I have to tell you that they even let boys do it. What? Oh, oh no, surely not. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, yes. They, they even let the boys do it. That's how easy it is. Well, and that, and that, that is a very good answer. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Especially like. for an eight-year-old. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I completely agree. I completely agree. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I was going to ask, uh, uh, um, are any of your children into flying? Pilots no, or? they are not. They're all doing different things. Actually, my oh. middle daughter is now running Jetstar Publishing. Oh. She is, yeah, she's got her PhD and her, her doctoral in archaeology, and she's a mom with two kids, and uh, she's running Jetstar Publishing. My eldest daughter is uh, a manager over at Amazon, and my youngest daughter has her master's in education, And but she's got three children. Hers are the youngest, so she's a stay-at-home mom, but my um, really funny story, I took two of the daughters back to uh, simulator and and my middle daughter was flying the 747-400 simulator, had never been in it, so she comes in and sits in the left seat and I sit in the right seat. And so we <laughs> talked her through, told her where the flaps were and how to set them, had her put her hands on the thrust, told her where to set it, which buttons to push, and talked her through. I never touched the controls. There was a two Czech airmen in the back operating the simulator and she took this airplane off, went up to altitude, flew around, and flew a perfect approach and landed the airplane. Okay? It was beautiful. And the guys <laughs> in the back are cracking up laughing because you can imagine what they see come through the simulator sometime. And they're saying, Kayla, pilot hiring's right down the hall. And, and you know, we got to get down. And she was 13 years old at the time. And she it was so cute. She just kind of looked out the overhead and goes, no. I don't think so. There's far too many buttons in here. <laughs> so, no. Yeah, so she wasn't going to be a pilot because there were too many buttons. Agreed, yeah. <laughs> well, Matt, Matt's not a huge fan of flying, uh, no. uh, my no, co-host no. here. Ironically, yes. He does an aviation show every week and he's he terrified of flying, but we'll, we'll gloss over that and move on, shall well, we? <laughs> but even, even saying that, uh, Carly, we, we, I mean, we've got uh, the segment to run in the show later on, but we, uh, we had uh, a, a trip down to a sim in London mm. uh, last week, and Matt got well. Matt got to have a go in the seven three seven eight hundred simulator, and he landed. I did without. Yeah, I don't he landed incredibly <laughs> well. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. so yeah, it just goes to show. But it's uh, it's great. It's obviously great when uh, when your your children are interested in uh, well, kind of interested in the flying aspect of stuff. But uh, next question for you, Carleen. Uh, any interesting stories you have of uh, of your flying career? Any uh, uh, incidents that, or or things that you could talk about or quickly that uh, have happened? Yes. Well, probably the most interesting flying was flying the uh, Hajj for uh, Tower Air around the world. But as far oh. as an incident, um, flying 747, I was actually the flight engineer. We are coming out of New York, fully loaded freighter going to Anchorage. And I remember sitting at the panel and it was, uh, we, we begin at night, but now it's daylight. And I remember watching the oil um, 
pressure in the oil. The oil started going around one of the engines. Now, the interesting, not a big deal. We ended up shutting down the engine. The interesting thing was my reaction was not, it was kind of, oh, cool. We get to shut down an engine. You know, and you would think an engine <laughs> yeah, failure yeah. in this airplane would instill a little bit of fear. Hmm. And you, so that is found, I found that fascinating because we all know that our performance is so much better if we don't fear, right? Yeah. If we're afraid, if we panic, we're going to not do as well. And so I found that my reaction to this process interesting from an understanding you know, because this is what I trained pilots how to do, how to shut down these engines and we go through this training. But I never had to actually got to do one in real life. And I viewed this as as a fun, um, something to, to reduce the boredom of the flight or something, you know. But And we had to descend down because we were too heavy at the altitude we were at. And it was beautiful flying over the mountains a little bit closer. And, and But, you know, it was, uh, it made me think about the power of training. And then and the and confidence and correlating that with confidence because I had such an understanding of this aircraft, how it worked, what we were capable of, what it was capable of, that it was not a big deal to lose an engine and shut it down. And I think that what has driven me into the aviation safety passion because what's transferred into the new automated aircraft is training is so uh, light that there is not a thorough understanding and I think it's affecting pilots confidence mm. you know and, and I think that's a problem and then when something does happen they won't have that oh good we have a situation let's deal with that type of attitude it's more of a it'll be more of a reactive you know with that little bit of panic in there that, that this is really happening and what if I'm not prepared what if I don't know what if I you know, I haven't experienced this type attitude. So I really think the confidence level, if nothing else, of beefing up training and understanding in today's world is going to be a huge value. I was going to say, if you're going to have an engine failure, yeah. the 747 is probably your best bet because well, at least you've got, got, four, got, you've got yeah. four of them. <laughs> yeah, you've got three to play with. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Carly, another question then: uh, your future plans? What the what are the future plans for you? Obviously, you've got your new book coming out soon. Um, what about the uh, the flying? You've got the triple seven uh, coming up yeah. possibly as well. My, my future plans: uh, get checked out on that triple seven, finish my PhD. So hopefully your listeners can help support that because it's going to be a data collection nightmare. Um, trying to get that many people. But I really firmly believe that, you know, just look at your viewers and how many viewers and people out there who have a passion for aviation, that they're going to be interested in this because mm. it's going to impact all of us, you know, collecting the data. So the PhD, the, the new book, the type rating, and then what I'm looking at is writing movies. Oh, because, ah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I have a children's book, and I'm going to actually make my children's movie into, into a book first, only because from what I've learned in the Hollywood realm, sometimes if you pitch your movie idea, nobody likes it. And then two years later, your movie pops out on the screen and kind of an essence of what you did. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my children's book first, do it a movie. And I have had a lot of interest in my novels, uh, especially the first one, uh, Flight for Control, because it's, they said it's so visual of potentially becoming a movie. I have no doubt that my current novels will hit the big screen. Cool. Uh, Looking forward to that. Yeah, because yeah. yes, <laughs> yeah. Cause my my what I'm actually planning on doing there is so much truth woven inside my books mm. that what I'm going to do is probably after the flight for justice, so we'll have the five novels. I am going to write the nonfiction um, version of these books, okay. and it's going to be whether or not there it's in one one book format, or I'm going to attack each one differently. I'm not sure, but I think the only way to create change 
from what I'm experiencing, is if we let the public know and let the public help come to support. Will, because... that, be, will that be a Clint Eastwood directed <laughs> film? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Here's the funny thing: you guys can come and be in my movie because, yeah, yeah. Any all your viewers, just tell them, you know, yeah. like come be in my movie. And an interesting thing: I was taking a screenwriting course because I thought <laughs> I wanted to learn how to write a screenplay. Oh, wow. And I told the professor who was teaching this, I said, "Yes, this particular scene is a." Actually, it was um, very sad because the airplane crashed and everyone had lost their family and friends on this. And if that has never happened to you, and I mean, from the airline, we know individually when we lose somebody on an airplane, it is devastating. But but from the airline perspective, you've lost family and friends. And when there was a horrendous crash um, at one of the major airlines, my sister was a flight attendant. So she lost her friend. She went out and met families and she lost them. It's huge. So what I did is I created a, my book, a memorial for the family and friends to come together after this airline, you know, and my fictional airline crashed this aircraft and I brought them together and they're all airline people. And so I said to this agent, I said, or the professor's teaching this class, I said, I am going to have all real people be the extras in my movie who come to that memorial. All they have to do is drink beer and be sad. I think <laughs> I can do that. That's fine. I think when you when you when you look when you want to uh, to screencast your pilots yes, who are going to fly in this yeah. film, me and we, Matt will, will fly over to the states and we'll be your um, yeah we'll, we'll play pilots. I, I, well, I, I if, if you want real pilots, we have contacts with. I mean, I don't know if Captain Al, you know, I mean, you know, loads of people that, who could who could uh, come and do the honors. Actually, sure. you got a question from the chat room? Uh, no, oh, no, Lucas, we have got a question from Lucas. Okay, all right, go on. Yeah, Lucas, uh, Lucas. Tiber, Tiber Z, I hope I pronounced your name right. Dear, you're in Luke, Lucas in the <laughs> yeah, chat room. Lucas, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, Lucas has got a question for you, Carlene. He says, uh, did you have any funny or weird conversations with ATCOs during your career? Oh, wow. Um, no. No, okay. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll leave it at that. Fine. <laughs> okay. because, yeah, no, we never had any funny. Well, you know what? The, the humorous ones were... Um, let me think. Yeah, no, we'll leave it that. No, no okay, okay, that's okay. fine. That's absolutely fine. Well, we, we, we're going to let you go now, Carleen, but we've got one more question that we ask okay. everyone. We have. Uh, who our is our ever, golden question. Yeah, our golden question. It's, it's kind of our thing, if you like. We always ask our pilots this. Uh, given the chance to fly any aircraft that is either retired or flying today, what would you most love to Anything. have a go of flying? And you can, we, we allow you to have it like two. If, if, yeah, if, if you, you want to really have two, you can choose. have two. But uh, is there something that you would just love, love, love to get in in like the you know the the the, the jump seat for and just just or you just know any seat yeah, any seat oh, just, oh any seat the cockpit seat yeah yeah, 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 I do. yeah, yeah, yeah old yeah, yeah. and new yeah and they were I, I call them missed opportunities the old yeah. one would be a Boeing seven oh seven because when I went down yeah when I went down to Guyana Airways they had one parked on the runway and I went and put the aircraft into service part of my negotiated salary was I want to fly your airplane and get a type rating and they said okay. So, but what happened is they ended up selling the airplane before we worked this through. So it never transpired. So it was an opportunity missed. The other one is the 787 because over at Northwest, I was going to be a first cadre instructor and I was so excited for that. And then the airplanes didn't come. So it's kind of like one of those things that you almost had it and you didn't. So now I kind of want to do it. Yeah, <laughs> so so you know, I'm, I'm guessing you're not friends with John Travolta. <laughs> you know what John Travolta needs to come he John Travolta would be a perfect 
uh, Bill Jacobs in my series. Ah, oh, you see. He is, he's yeah. just that element. He can play evil and charming because my, my villain, we're going to know, you know, right off at the very beginning, yeah. uh, Bill Jacobs does just absolutely something the most atrocious, horrid thing in the first when the first couple chapters of my novel, so much so that some women have closed it and not able to read the book. Wow. But yet he's very charming. He's the head of the union, running for the head of the union. So very charming, charismatic mm. to get people to do things they want. So Definitely. yeah, we need to get John Travolta. He'd be he if I'm casting my movies, he's Bill Jacobs all the way. Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Yeah. Well we're we're gonna let you go now, Imogen. Thank you so very much for um But before we let you time. go, uh Carly uh, just tell the listeners before we let you go all uh, where where can they find you on social media or your uh, obviously your website and stuff your blog yeah they can find me at uh, com, and that'll take you right to my blog it's k-a-r-l-e-n-e or pettit is p-e-t-i-t-t and my email address is first name dot last name at gmail.com and then they can google any of the books I'm and I'm Carlene Pettit on Twitter you follow me on Twitter and um yeah, they can um, reach out. Any questions? Even that eight-year-old reaching out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Can Actually, email me. Yeah. On that note, uh, Carlene, uh, Richard King has just uh, said thank you ever so much for answering Imogen's questions. You made her day. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So you might, tell, you... tell him to email me her address, and I will send her an I am awesome book. Oh, oh yeah, do all right. Yeah, yeah okay. Excellent. Leave it with us. We'll, 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 we'll do that. Well, seriously, Carlene, thank you so very much for being so generous with your time today. Uh, uh, Carlene's uh, blog will be available in the show notes uh, so you can have yeah. a good read of uh, of the great uh, buy her books and everything so uh, seriously guys uh, yeah, make sure you do that they are they are fascinating books and it's been absolutely fantastic to speak to you Carlene and talk to you on the show I'm, I know everyone in the chat room has definitely enjoyed listening to you today and uh, it's been yeah like I said it's been fantastic to have you uh, on, on the show so thank you very very much I thank you both for the opportunity Oh, it's great. Hopefully we can do it again. Yeah, Definitely. yeah. Well, well, when when you when your film is uh, is about to be made, <laughs> and, and you, you need to you need to sort of you know get some extras, then just give us a shout. <laughs> I definitely will. I because I didn't finish that. What they had said is she said you can't tell the directors of a movie what you're going to do. <laughs> said why not? It's my movie. And they said she said no no no. You mean you will prevent your movie from being made because you want those people in there. I said, no, you're thinking of it backwards. <laughs> They're not going to want to make my movie because we want pilot extras. Yeah. And, and so she didn't think of it that way. But, yeah, no, we're going to do it. Everyone, tell everyone in your chat room they're going to be in the movie <laughs> yeah, and make it happen. Yeah, excellent. That's it. So don't forget, guys, uh, those who are listening on the audio podcast as well, uh, check out the show notes for uh, for all the links that will take you to uh, to obviously the books and obviously uh, Carlene's blog as well. So, again, thanks for coming on the show, Carlene. You've been an absolute star this evening. So we're going to let you get back to your, to your busy day. But uh, from all of us here at Plain Talking UK, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, right. Okay. right. Uh, Don Sebastian is doing some kind of pre-buy thing in yeah. a uh, what's it? So we're just going to dial him up very quickly and okay. have, a, have a very brief uh, chat with him. All right. Yeah, so okay. I'm going to take you on a little tour here of what you do to buy a jet airplane. You've got all these books to go through. And I'm in the uh, Sacramento, California. And this, this is where it all started right here. You still with me? Yeah, yeah we, we are here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it all started right there. And then they started making these bamboo bombers, oh, wow. uh, Cessna. And just to prove how strong they are, they got all the employees to stand on the wings. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? It is. And here it? they are. Yeah. Here's the famous guys. And uh, 
lots of history here. Oh, look at that, another wing. But so, we're going to take you outside. Oh, wow. So, so, so what are you doing there today, Don? What are you up to? Well, I'm uh, checking out a, an airplane, a Cessna Citation. And she's going to let me out the door in a minute. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, that's the main facility in Wichita. Mm -hmm. And while I'm waiting for this lady to uh, see, they have free cookies here. And oh, wow. Guys, yeah. you had me. Yeah, you're, you're sitting yeah. it all here live, guys. Yeah, so this is, yeah. is going to be an interesting part for that to edit. you got a nice uh, machine here. Hey, how you doing today? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyway... Uh, She's on the phone right now, but she'll be taking me outside in a minute. Okay. And here's most of the airplanes are in the hangar. I'll show you my airplane. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, it's, uh, all the ones in the hangar were broken. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, if you want to buy a brand new one, uh, gosh, you know, they're not that much. Five, six million dollars. What the heck? <laughs> uh, and matter of fact, they're building a turboprop right now. Oh, wow. And there it is. Going to compete with the Pilatus, oh, and then the famous oh, the caravan, uh, ah, the caravan flies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very famous. And yeah. uh, let me uh, get out. Uh, here's the deal. I got this uh, security security badge here. Yeah. And the spare battery, uh, <laughs> my phone. So I'm ready to go. But uh, this badge doesn't open that lock. So I'm going to have to find somebody to open it for me. <laughs> oh no. So it won't take a second. She happens yep. to be on the phone right now. That's all right. That's, that's fine. And it's no problem. I'll find somebody else to open it I, I've got. I, I've got so much editing to do with the show this week anyway. It's, yeah. it's uh, to take you for time, Don. It's not a problem at all. So this is a bit of an addition for those of you who are watching is, in the YouTube yeah. room. This is a bit of an addition for this week's show. We, yeah. won't, ex we won't expect him to talk yeah. to Don, so don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Right. Well, I'll, I'll let you outside here. Mike's talking too. I'll let you outside here and show you what's going on. Everybody's talking here. Everybody's busy, honestly. Everybody's working except you, Don, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's working hard. Yeah. And uh, basically the paperwork will just eat you up on these airplanes. I bet. See if I can find somebody to open the door here for me. Actually, listen, listen to your latest show, Don, uh, this week. Very good, very good. Very much enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, uh, it's matter of fact, uh, if you're all around tomorrow... At noontime Pacific time here in California, we're going to have a live podcast. Oh, cool. And uh, could you get the door? Oh, okay, there we go. We're mm. going to have a live, um, <laughs> it's called the Twitter Paris Periscope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You can text in questions for pilots. Okay. It's for airplane owners and pilots and mechanics. And uh, thanks a lot, dear. I appreciate that. So this is what it looks like. These are all the airplanes. And uh, oh, wow. actually, there's a deal here. If you go to work for Textron, which is now Cessna also, mm. and Beechcraft, but if you go to work for them, uh, they will send you to A&P school for free. And uh, some of these guys inside of uh, uh, a year and a half get their airframe and power plant mechanics license. So that's a pretty good deal. Ah, oh, there's my jet. I wonder where my jet is gone. <laughs> I wonder where I'm going to take you. over my airplane here. It's not mine, of course. I don't own it. I just break it. <laughs> uh, the flight test went pretty good. There was only a few uh, squawks on it, which is defects. And now we're deciding whether or not we should buy it for a million and a half dollars. And because we won't buy it in this condition that it's in right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet. I bet. <clears throat> they're they're charging ten thousand dollars to do their work, just inspecting the airplane. 
and uh, uh, I guess my bill would be about 5000 or so. Wow. And <laughs> matter of fact, there's an interesting airplane over here. Uh, the state of California got this airplane for $1 off the military, and they're fixing it up for a, for a chip. California Highway Patrol, mm. wow. <laughs> and it's going they're taking off all the antennas and military equipment and everything, and they're rebuilding the whole King Air. It's uh, uh, quite an interesting oh. thing. Now, this is called the CJ-1, mm. which is the uh, first citations that they made, the uh, newer model, and it replaced uh, the older model citations. And it's got a Williams engine on it, which is very fuel efficient and very low maintenance. And... Then they they, uh, they came out, uh, this is the Pratt Whitney engine too, the, the older type citations. This plane's about 30 years old. But then they came out with the CJ-4, and uh, now we're into like $20 million brand new. And it's, it's a lot different than this airplane, it's faster and further. So I thought I'd give you a little tour, and if you want to keep talking, we can, or if you're busy, uh, I'll say adios. We, we've we've got unfortunately we've got a really really busy show unfortunately. But Don, seriously, thank <laughs> okay. you so very thank been. you so very much for uh, for dialing in because it's. I tell you, for anyone who's listening to the audio audio yeah, you podcast, yeah, you need to need to listen. You need to watch. Okay, this. well, have a good day, and I enjoyed your show so far. I've been listening to your show and doing my work. Actually, I was doing two airplanes at once. I was doing a virtual pre-buy on a Beechcraft Duke wow. in Albuquerque. And I'm reading the blog books on this airplane and mm. listening to your show, so I don't have three brains, but I try. <laughs> no, I do. Oh. Uh, Mash has had a good, just a great comment here in the chat room, just saying, just imagine the total value in that hangar. I mean, a ballpark figure. How much would you say? Uh, it, uh, rough, rough idea. Yeah, Dom. rough how, idea. How, Dom. how much is sitting there now? Would you say rough? Rough guess. Oh, how much? Uh, oh, I can't hear you too well because I'm, I'm on my portable speaker. Yeah, that's fine. How much is all these airplanes worth? Yeah, yeah. all, all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well let's start counting. Oops. 25 million. Oh, uh, my that goodness. one's probably only 2 million. Uh, oh, my God. Let's see, this one here. Oh, that's probably 5 million. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, above 12. Oh, I guess we're talking $300 million. I don't know. Hey, it's incredible. It, it depends. Uh, hey, it's a lot, it's a lot of money. Yeah. It's cheaper. <laughs> Absolutely, it's an awful lot of money. Well, all I can say, Don, is thank you so thank very, you much very much for uh, for messaging yes, us. Okay. It's I hope you enjoyed the little tour. Very much so, mate. Uh, uh, listeners okay. will absolutely love it. And uh, seriously, okay, guys, bye it, then. yeah, keep, keep, up, keep up the good work with the podcast, Don. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, oh, make okay. sure that I appreciate that. Uh, give yourself intel. give yourself another uh, quick plug, plug, Don. Where can they find your um, your uh, show? Well, uh, if you go to the website, all one word, airplane pre buy. And that word pre-buy is attached to the airplane. It's P-R-E-B-U-Y dot com, airplaneprebuy.com. And then up in the top in the right corner of the three bars, click on that, and that will expose all our pages, cool. broadcasts and everything. Yeah. And Or you could just go into your uh, your, app, uh, your your Apple store or your, yep. your drone, uh, and drone you can... store, and it will be uh, in... Airplane Intel podcast. Cool. 
Well, everyone, yeah. everyone in the chat room is uh, has said what an amazing video you've uh, yeah. sent across for us tonight, or this afternoon, I should say, Don. Yeah, you this, are. Uh, so thank yeah, you very much. This is the largest uh, general aviation company right here. Because yeah. uh, here in the United States, we could all afford one of these. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'm moving to the states. Uh, well, we'll have a great weekend, Don. And uh, like I say, keep up the good work, and we'll uh, we'll catch up with you uh, soon, Don. So take care. Okay. Okay, bye. Cheers, bye, Don. Don. Take care. Bye-bye. Um, so we're going to move on then we with uh, the last segment on the show for yeah. tonight. It's been a long show. It's kind of an APG-style yep. show tonight. It is, yeah. A uh, good reason for that because obviously when we're when we're in pits, we may not be able to do a particularly long, long show. show so yeah. We're going to try and do it. We're going to do a show. over, over, yeah. over the time. <laughs> so uh, yeah. we, uh, as you may have known or may not know, uh, me and Matt and uh, actually Nev yeah. uh, went down uh, last weekend yep. for a, a kind of a revisit to uh, to NP simulations in London, yeah. and that's the flight experience London. And we'll put the yeah. details in the show notes for uh, for them. And the guys down there, Paul and Nick, uh, very kindly allowed us to uh, take up their time in the morning at the 737-800 uh, fixed base simulator they got there, which is absolutely fantastic, uh, as we said before. We had actually been the week before. Uh, we had, yeah, we with recorded Owen. some footage, with, uh, and Owen came too, which yeah. hence... Yeah, uh, that, hence, was, that was such good yeah, fun. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to put that footage out actually when we come back from pits, because we've yeah. got a bit of a... We had a little bit of a flying challenge, shall we say, to see who could... Yeah. Land. Uh, I think it was Heathrow, wasn't it? Just, just uh, before we play that interview, I'm going to uh, just, you know, put it out there for anyone who lives in the UK, and uh, you want, I mean, you know, because it's open to anyone, anyone, is, anyone yeah. can just walk in off the street uh, and yeah. and have a go in this simulator. But anyone who's in the UK, either on holiday or living in the UK, to get yourselves down to uh, East Putney uh, in London, where the simulator is based, and. It is ri ridiculously cheap for how much it is for to have a go, and it is a completely fully Boeing licensed simulator, which you can go in, and uh, you know it is as real as it gets, and you can fly anywhere in the world. And obviously, my uh, first choice of place to fly was obviously uh, the island of Malta, which really? I That's landed at. <laughs> Absolutely, hmm. I wonder why. I wonder why. But uh, we've got that interview uh, ready. Uh, hopefully, yeah. if uh, Matt's got it ready to... Can I uh, just say, yes, go from on. A, a, a point of view of someone who's coming from uh, outside of, of London or, or outside of the, 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 I don't know, the greater London area or anywhere near enough to where we are, uh, it's really, really easy to get to. Um, oh, yeah. It's just... It's right next to the tube station. Uh, it was a really easy journey. It was a really in. short walk, wasn't it, to to the yeah, actual, yeah, yeah. And uh, not only that, but the the guys there are so accommodating. They're yeah. really, really great fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They take their their job really, really seriously. Um, they're they're really, really good guys. Um, yeah. And it, it was just such an amazing experience when we went down there. So I highly, highly recommend it to anyone that was that that is even thinking about, or maybe longing to go into one of these simulators. Yeah, yeah. we'll put like I said, we'll put yeah. the notes, the uh, the the relevant uh, kind of bits and pieces on the show notes. I'll also place a link to their uh, website as well on our Facebook mm -hmm. page. So if you want to go and take a look over there, I'll get that on there ASAP so you can look for yourself. But as we all said, it was a fantastic day, mm. and uh, we're going to play that interview for you right now.
So you join us saying that MP Simulations, Flight Experience London and Grand School London. I'm here with the founders, Nick Taylor and Paul Kendrick. So uh, welcome you guys on to the Plane Talking UK podcast. Thank you very much for having and, us. And uh, obviously thanks for uh, allowing us to, uh, to use a sim. It's been, uh, been a fantastic experience for all of us. And we've also got some great footage for the show as well, which is even better. So we've got a few questions for you guys and all about uh, what you guys do here and stuff. So uh, we'll go for, for you first. When was your uh, passion for aviation fired up from an early age? Yeah, I suppose um, like most kids like airplanes. And uh, we, were, we lived in Ealing, which is just a few miles from the end of the runway at Heathrow. So Conkle going over and everything, you can't help but look up, can you? <coughs> and... Uh, um, but really it was uh, my father-in-law who got me really involved um, when I was sort of late teens, no, probably early 20s. And uh, he, he bought me a, um, some flying lessons and then regretted it, I think, <laughs> because uh, I, just, I just fell for it, uh, which, is, which is very strange for someone who's scared of heights. But uh, I'm actually fine in an airplane, you'll be pleased to know. <laughs> but uh, get me up a ladder and I go all wobbly. Uh, so yeah, and it just from there I managed to get uh, work in, in aviation on the ground, dispatch and operations, and then um, finally went through to do my commercial license uh, in the very late 90s. Wow, so you, the aircraft that you're rated in, that you can go and fly now, what types of aircraft could you just walk out of here and fly straight away now? Uh, it's been a while since I've flown, um, but I, I have a, a multi-engine uh, land rating with um, IR and it's commercial and I was rated on 737 classics and with all the work on the sim now I'm pretty sure I could pass the rating for <laughs> NG now but uh, I haven't tried. But you've flown, we've talked to you before, before obviously with the aircraft you've flown and that you've flown some, uh, you've obviously flown the, the classic uh, 737 200 with the old. Two and four, and yeah. And the four. Yeah. Um, any favourite between the two? Obviously the four is slightly more advanced. Well, uh, being a basically lazy person, uh, obviously the 400 made life a lot easier. And the 200 I got, I got bored keep having to go down the back and restoke the boiler. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, but, but the 200 is, is a, was a nice airplane when you came from light aircraft, GA aircraft, because it sort of was very similar, went a lot faster, but it was very similar, the, you know, all the instrumentation was... Very, steam gauges. Yeah, it was steam yeah. gauges, all, all those clocks and everything in there, and, and it, it was recognisable. So it was a good step up, you know. So, and out of all the aircraft you've flown, is there a favourite you've, you've kind of got? Or well, is it just a 7.3? I had a cheeky little um, fly of a 7.67, which I absolutely adored. It was, um, it was a beautiful airplane to fly. Yeah, I think that's probably the favourite. Oh, you'd like to do that again? I would. <coughs> I would. <laughs> I don't think I'll get the chance now, though. So. Oh, but that, so your, um, the licence you've got now, do you do any GA flying now? Uh, no, no. no. I, 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 it's been a... Two reasons. One, it's very expensive to fly in the UK, yeah, it is. isn't yeah. it? Uh, uh, secondly, um, especially now <laughs> with all this going on, it's time, you know. So uh, I, I think maybe when things calm down and we can uh, mm. we can take a bit of a step back in the business, um, which I'm hoping is going to happen at some point, then maybe yeah, yeah, I'd like to get flying again. So for you, Nick. Mm. Oh well. The fire. When did the fire start for the? Uh, oh, a long, long, long time ago. 
interesting. Yeah, I mean, probably for me, I, I my my first sort of uh, experience at flying was probably uh, going on those charter holidays with your parents, and I remember it was probably back in the, the mid late seventies when the likes of uh, Britannia Airways <coughs> were around. Dan Air. Dan Air. Yeah, and, and funnily enough, they they came into my uh, <coughs> sort of into my life. In, in one of my first jobs as well. But I think it was, you know, I, I really took to flying, as I say, when I was just a kid, went on charter holidays. Funnily enough, that always seemed to be on 737s, which were Britannia's uh, flagships at the time. And uh, at that time, I always wanted to be a pilot, you know, probably ever since I was six, seven years old. Um, unfortunately, that never materialized because I was short-sighted in, uh, in my left eye. And in those days, it was before all the marvellous laser surgery and corrective surgery that they can do now. So, uh, unfortunately, flying uh, never became an option for me, even though I always sort of kept my fingers crossed that some marvellous medical invention would come along. Um, so I sort of went through a period uh, in my sort of mid to late teens when everyone's making career choices. Of, of I, I knew I wanted to work in aviation. Uh, in civil aviation, not not so much in the RAF, but it was, you know, what could I do? And uh, no one seemed to know, careers teachers, you know, if, if you wanted to be an engineer or a pilot, that was fine, uh, or an air traffic controller, but anything else, no one seemed to have any idea. So really, I thought, well, the best option was just to go in at, you know, on the bottom rung, if you want to call it that, uh, in a job that we all see when we, we fly, we go on holidays. Uh, and I applied uh, uh, for a summer job initially uh, as a uh, customer service agent. Uh, now at the time I was living in Teesside, there weren't many opportunities up there, so I applied for jobs actually uh, at Heathrow and Gatwick. Uh, I got offered two jobs at Gatwick, uh, one with British Airways and one with a, a handling agent called Gatwick Handling who have long since disappeared. Um, and ironically, I actually took the Gatwick handling job because there was a slim chance that I could be kept on after the summer, uh, and I was, and, and really my career took off from there. I, I stayed in customer service for a little while, did a lot of work in uh, uh, voluntary work in our dispatch department, I eventually moved on to dispatch, uh, management jobs in dispatch, uh, set up. Verde, I was part of Virgin Atlantic's uh, uh, centralised load planning unit, set that up, uh, and then moved to Virgin uh, and spent 18 years there. Moved up to eventually through airport manager, regional airport manager, country manager, two very exciting locations, West Africa and uh, Asia, Japan and Korea. So, uh, so yeah, it, it all worked out well in the end. I, I think, you know, even to this day, I would love to have been a commercial pilot. But it just, you know, it wasn't to be. And now I've got this wonderful simulator that I can, <laughs> I can relive my uh, my life on that now. But uh, so no, I mean, the, the industry is, is has been good to me. It's it's been really good. So you you guys, uh, we know you, you well, we heard that you you met together at Virgin. You worked mm. together at Virgin here. Uh, what was that role? I mean, you know, how did you guys meet? Did you bump into each other? And, uh... the two biggest drinkers in the office, I think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, were, we, we were in dispatch. Um, we, we both helped with, with some other guys to set up their dispatch department. They decided to bring stuff in-house because uh, British Midland had been doing their dispatch at the time at Heathrow. And <clears throat> they were getting more and more flights 
so that they, they thought, I assume they thought that it would be cost effective to have their own dispatch department. I think it was, was it 13 of us that originally was there, wasn't it? Yeah, I, th I think originally I think it was it was about six of yeah, us, for, and it, we grew quite quickly. For and, a couple of months, yeah. it was sort of six, and then it went up to thirteen. We stayed like that for a while, and then it grew even more. And uh, we just hit it off, didn't we? Quite quickly, and uh, yeah. as I say, you know, just uh, socialised, yeah. been mates yeah. ever since. Yeah, and it's strange. I mean, we, we talk about it now. We 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 still say, even though. You know, we then went on to do our various things. Paul went flying and I went, you know, sort of more on the, the, the sort of head office and the management side. And I, I stayed with Virgin for quite a few years after. Um, it, it's still, it's still we, we think back of it, it's probably one of the, the best jobs that we did. Yeah. I mean, it's, if, you know, if, if anyone is, is sort of out there considering a job in aviation, I could highly recommend Dispatch. It's, I it's think when, you, when, when we look, when we talk to people and stuff for the, on the show, and people think of an aviation job, a lot of them just think straightaway pilot, mm -hmm. pilot, pilot, all every time. But as you guys have said, there's there's more out there. Yeah, um, operations and dispatch um, is is a great job, and it's uh, a very social job as well. I mean, obviously you're doing shifts, so you get used to people who are on on your shifts and who who sort of follow your pattern. So, you know, you get quite close to people and, and lots, especially for younger people, mm. isn't it? I mean, when you're in the 20s or something, it's, it's party time, it's great fun. And there's such a wide spectrum. I mean, you're dealing with everything from the pilots to the cabin crew, to the caterers, to the cleaners, to the engineers, to the cargo guys. I mean, you are literally, and the, the ground stuff, the customer service agents, I mean, you, you are literally coordinating all those teams. And so one minute you, you talk, you're on the flight deck discussing flight planning with, with the captain. The other minute you, you're talking to caterers because something's missing or, you know, it, it's hot weather and something is, is you know, is Gone on the borderline of going off. And it, it's, yeah. you know, it, it's such a diverse range of functions that you do. Uh, and as Paul said, you know, that the, the social interaction with all those different people is great. If, if that's the sort of job you like, but it's, uh, mm. yeah, I mean, I look back very fondly on, on those years, uh, both with Virgin and, and before as well. Great. So we're here at MP Simulations. Yeah. How did this all start, where we are here in the, uh, this <laughs> wonderful building with the simulator just next door there? Um, a drunken conversation. <laughs> yeah, several over you, the you'll years. You'll see a theme <laughs> run through this. <laughs> Uh, it's probably not far from the truth. I mean, we, to be honest, we'd, we'd been talking about uh, setting something up like this, a business that involved simulators, a business that allowed us to give something back, I suppose. I mean, obviously, we both have a lot of years' experience in the industry, and when you're quite passionate about something, you sort of want to give some of that back. And... You know, so, but at the time, you know, we were both in, we were both doing very well in our respective jobs. Uh, and it was, as Paul said, little more than a conversation after having a few drinks. And I mean, this is going back five, six, seven years. Mm. Um, and I think, as with anything, there's, there's a trigger. And in my case, uh, I was, uh, it was my last, uh, or what eventually was my last uh, posting with, with Virgin as as general manager or country manager in Japan. And uh, sadly, one of my last 
functions in the row was to close the route down as, as Virgin decided to focus uh, on, on other routes in the world. And, uh, you know, I, at that time, you know, I was coming up to having done 18 years and I felt I'd, I'd, I'd sort of fulfilled most of the things I wanted to do in Virgin. Uh, I, you know, I'd done the operational stuff, I'd done dispatch, I'd done customer service, I'd been duty manager, service delivery manager at Heathrow, all, all these sorts of things. And I thought, you know, I didn't, I'm a, I'm a great believer in, in going forward in things. You know, it's pointless going backwards. I'd been overseas for 11 years, I had my family with me, I've got three little ones, and I just felt uh, it was time to, you know, come back to the UK and I wanted to do something different. And, uh, and also, I missed my football as well, having been overseas for so long. So from my side, it was, it, it was a simple, it was just, right, I want to, you know, move on now, do something different. Uh, and uh, Paul and I, you know, again, when I was back in this country, started talking about, well, you know, we spent five, six years talking about it. You know, uh, I think Paul was in a similar position where, he felt it was time for a change, and it, it really went from there. So what we discussed for five, six, seven years, uh, we started bringing it together, and that's really how the seeds were, were sown as such. So you found the building we're in now. What did it take from there to obviously get all the, all the changes you've made, obviously, and obviously the kit that you've got in there, the simulator itself? Finding the building actually was... The hardest part. <laughs> yeah, really was. Because when you get professionals in to do the job, um, because the building was a shell, because it's a new building. Um, but finally it took us, what, well over a year, didn't it? Mm. Because we need quite four metre height, although it's, these are um, full ceilings. Um, so the building itself has four metre height because of the simulators. And uh, we needed it on the ground floor. It's quite difficult to get a simulator up ten storeys or whatever. And also because of the load, you know, the... the weight of it on the floor. Uh, yeah, so it took well over a year, probably 14, 15, maybe even 16 months. We knew we wanted to be in London because really with sort of one exception, there's, there's nothing like us in London. Uh, you know, there's a few places that you can go out to um, <clears throat> be in some uh, hangar, you know, on the, on the edge of an airport somewhere or something like that, which is great, which is fine, but we knew we wanted to be in London for what we wanted to do. So that took, as I say, quite a while. And then we got some good guys in who really, um, Chaz and his team, who really did us proud in here. And, um, and that took about, that wasn't relatively speaking, we, we had some setbacks due to issues with the building. But um, that probably really took about three months, I suppose, all in all. Yeah, I mean... Christmas we, sort of came in the middle, which sort we, of... Yeah, I mean, we had actually hoped to open for Christmas just gone. Uh, but as Paul said, unfortunately, we had some some delays with uh, with, with work uh, outside of our control with the building, uh, and so that never happened. But uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the team who who did the work in here uh, did an amazing job. You know, bearing in mind, uh, you know, if you saw the original photographs, it, it is just a shell, yeah. a brick shell. I've seen the photos on the website, you've got, I think you've got some on the Facebook, your Facebook page yeah. as well, yeah. of the right. original. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, absolutely everything from the toilets to everything had to go in. So it wasn't just a case of putting the sim in and that in itself, you know, obviously it's getting the, the access. Uh, even if it, it, it comes in 
three units, isn't it? I believe uh, three two, main, two, 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 two main yeah. units. But uh, you know that again, that was one of the, uh, the the stipulations when we were looking for the property. We we had to get it in in the first place. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I mean it, we're, uh, now it's it's done uh, more or less. I mean it's it's one of those projects. It's sort of always ongoing because <laughs> you're always doing other things, and we're we're always thinking about what what we need to do and what we want to do next. But in terms of where we are and, and the actual building, we're, we're very pleased with it. So where, where do you actually source the SIM from? Is there, is there a specialist company you have to go to? to yeah, to I mean, the there's, there's a few uh, manufacturers throughout the world who do this sort of fixed-based simulator to this quality. Um, but we go to a place called um, Pacific Simulators, who are based in Christchurch in New Zealand. And Russell, the guy who runs and owns it, is a fantastic guy. Um, he's been here the last couple of days on the um, servicing. And yeah, he's, uh, he built that up from nothing. His first simulator was a 767 just because he liked the look of them. And he sort of built it up from there and then, then realised that actually so many people want 7.3s. And so, so they, they went over to that and they've just started building 320s as well. Uh, and um, but I think we can honestly say you won't get a better simulator of, of its type anywhere in the world. I mean, it uses as much as it can, it uses real aircraft parts. So when you were sitting on the seats that come out of an airplane, the control column, the throttle quadrant, the rudder pedals, um, steering tiller, all of that, seats themselves, all out of a real airplane. So it's sort of a, a our baby's a Air Alaskan, a 7.3. Um, so yeah, uh, and and it's about 99.5% functional as well, which is great for when we want to do training stuff. And you know, yeah, I have, it is incredibly realistic from being in the simulator here, and that is it's fantastic what you guys have put together. Mm. Definitely, yeah. I think that you know it's it's accepted as well now. I mean, the the, the business that Russell's built uh, are now selling sims to to airlines to. Uh, to training colleges, universities. I think even Boeing uh, took a, a I think couple. They, of they sourced a couple for mm. some of their the people, you know, that they work with. So um, yeah, so that's how. And it's in. Um, it's a. It is a Boeing licensed product, or not the simulator itself, but everything we do. And so we can actually advertise that, which is quite cool for us. Mm. So uh, and, and we can actually call it a seven three seven eight hundred when we. Uh, talking about flight experience, which is um, which is quite a bonus legally, we can call it that. I mean, others may call their simulator seven three seven eight hundred, but uh, they uh, they shouldn't. <laughs> so, so what do you offer here? What sort of kind of training <coughs> courses uh, do you guys offer here at the sim? Uh, well, there's two there's two sides to our business, uh, and. When we when we were first looking at setting this up, and as we spoke about earlier, you know, our conversations five years ago, it was more about uh, giving the public an insight into to what goes on in aviation, and specifically what goes on behind the flight deck door. Um, but as time went on, uh, and because our background has included training at some point as well, we've both been trainers uh, in, in different fields. Uh, in the industry, uh, we started thinking more about running sort of another side of the business that would be focused on on training 
but we were looking for a, a, a niche in the market, something that hadn't really been uh, covered by one of the big training academies. So what we actually offer, we have flight experience, which is, is uh, uh, it's a global brand. Uh, we have the UK license to operate flight experience. Uh, and that's very much about giving the general public a, uh, an experience, an idea of what it's like to be a commercial pilot. And we offer various packages uh, that enable people to do that. Um, we also do things like corporate events, uh, and uh, we'll very shortly be uh, looking to run fear of flying programs as well. Uh, Ground School London is entirely Paul and I's own creation. Um, and, um, what Ground School London's really all about, it, it, we, at the moment anyway, and we don't foresee within the next year or two that we'll move into the actual uh, training as such environment. Uh, we, we probably won't license people for a while. But what we, uh, what we saw that the, the market needed was more preparatory training. It was something that was never there when I was young. It was an I from you know we've done a lot of research we've spoken to schools and colleges we've spoken to uh, potential pilots and parents and um, and it's something there seems to be nothing in the market really from especially for young people who may be making career choices they're 15 16 uh, even younger 14 15 16 uh, and it's before they actually make that decision and they walk through the door of CTC or CA Oxford or, or start doing uh, formal ATPL training with uh, say uh, Bristol Ground School or someone, someone like that. So we're, we're not competing with those guys, we're, we're you know, yet. Uh, you know, this is, you know, what we're focusing on is people who are still making decisions about what they want to do with their future. And what we wanted to do was to really make it courses that are not just heavy theoretical work, because you're going to get plenty of that once you make your mind up and you, you go to one of the big training academies. But what we did want to do was to uh, obviously incorporate uh, a lot of the theoretical material in a more... In, a, in an easier fashion, but to also apply a lot of practical sessions to uh, to bring it to life, I suppose, and that's what we can do with the simulator. I mean, basically, we've we've made a modular course that covers most subjects that you'll find in an a, a CPL or an ATPL. But obviously, we don't go into the depth uh, in depth like that. And each module, you will then go into the simulator and say, well, you know, we were talking about this, that, or the other, or now you can see it in action. And so people can, you know, they'll get handbooks and stuff so they can study and then they'll see it in action and hopefully that will reinforce what we've spoken about in the classroom. And also it's a bit more fun than just sitting in the classroom. Um, so as Nick says, our, our, our courses are basically preparatory and uh, we call them the foundation courses. So either for youngsters who are getting ready to, to go out into the big world, or, or even people who are already out there, you know, and, and decided on a career change or something, you know, we've got sort of different courses aimed at, at different sort of age groups. And um, 
you know, to go and do a, a zero to ATPL now is sort of a hundred and plus thousand pounds. So for a fraction of that, you can come in here and make sure, firstly, it's what you want to do. Secondly, you, you feel you can do it. And thirdly, you're going to enjoy it. Because once you then make that big financial and time um, commitment to do it in real life, you don't want to be backing off part way through, do you? So, so, so that's, as Nick says, that's where we felt that we, we could come in now. And hopefully later on we'll, we'll do MCC courses and, and jet orientation and then maybe build up to, you know, to, to other stuff as well. But that's what we're going to focus on at the moment. Um, we also do things like um, accident and investigation, oh, sorry, accident and incident little course, looking at some accidents that have happened over the years or incidents, uh, and again, utilising the simulator and um, let, letting people see what happened, why it happened, and then let's go in and see if we can do it a bit differently and, and, and have a different outcome. I think, like you guys said, the preparatory thing is really important. Yeah. That is very, I mean, if you can go, for someone who's going to think of going to CTC to, you know, to, to get the licence and go through and <coughs> become a commercial pilot, you know, to come here and, and you know, get, get the, the kind of basics and the, and the lead up to where they're going to eventually be is, is important. I think it saves a lot of time as well. If you can walk into somewhere like CTC with the information, you know, that you guys can give here, mm -hmm. I think that's uh, a brilliant idea. Yeah, and I mean, it, we'll, we'll, you know, part specially, uh, more specifically, I suppose, for the uh, for the schools and college program that we run. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll throw in a, you know, uh, some advice as well on, on careers. We're, we're not careers advisors, but what we do have, we have a team of ambassadors who are guys who have day jobs who are still flying. Uh, uh, we've guys who are pilots with BA, pilots with Virgin. Uh, uh, some are still flying, as I say. Some uh, some are retired, uh, but you know we'll we'll bring them in to talk to the the students, uh, you know, to give give them some idea of of what options are out there because there's you know there's multi channels to go into flying, uh, and I I think people tend to get a bit confused about what what's available, how much is it going to cost, can I do it. You know, am I clever enough to do it? I mean, a lot of people sort of say, I'd love to be a pilot, but I'm, I'm not clever enough. Well, look at me, I mean. <laughs> look at Paul, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul said it anyway. But, uh, you were thinking it. I was thinking. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it, it's to, to give some help and guidance as well. As I say, we're not, we're not careers advisors, but we'll, we'll do our best. And that, that is something we, going right back to your earlier question, uh, it's something we are quite passionate about because we, we didn't, uh, have that much help in getting into the industry because no one had the knowledge uh, and now we've got goodness knows how many years between us uh, it's, it's we're now able to give something back and if at the same time we can make it enjoyable and engaging uh, and a, an interesting thing as well we've over the last uh, two or three weeks we've been having discussions with uh, uh, Kingston University in London uh, who are neighbours just at the in Roehampton site. Uh, They've got a big aeronautical engineering um, campus, and they? Yeah, it's so... impressive around there. Yeah. So, yeah, so not only can we add the practical sessions uh, with the simulator, uh, they also have some, some great kit down there, uh, wind tunnels and things. So, on our modules that, for instance, with the, the sort of the theory of flight, uh, we can 
whole practical sessions there using the wind tunnel to show students actually, you know, why aeroplanes fly and, you know, so we're always looking at ways that are engaging so you're not just sitting in a classroom, you know, thinking, oh my God, you know, this is heavy stuff, you know, because that's not what we want to do and, you know, it's, uh, we don't want to put people off. I mean, if anything, you know, both of us think it, it's probably, it, it's an amazing profession uh, or industry, whatever you do, it's, it's a great industry to be in. So, you know, the last thing we want to do is put people off. What we want to do is make it engaging. So future plans for you guys here at the uh, MP Simulations. I, we, you've, we've sent a little uh, room, just around a big room, right, just around the <laughs> corner there, uh, with the, uh, the, the letters uh, A320. Well, we, we here like to think that we'll, um, we've got something for everyone. So if you can't really fly, you can go in an Airbus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if all you're any good at is a Nintendo thing or you know Xbox, then you will have a choice. Yeah, that's yeah. it. You'll be able to fly yeah. easily enough. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Obviously, the, the the two big manufacturers out there are Airbus and Boeing. So it seems sensible to have uh, one of each. Obviously, there's certain constraints. Um, lead times on the simulators and money <laughs> always comes in but we're hopeful to have a, a 320 sim um, the end of the year if we're lucky or possibly the first quarter of next year and we're also looking at getting um, sort of an open cockpit 737 which we can take to trade shows and shows and pilot, uh, pilot career shows and stuff like that uh, which I think we're looking at getting earlier and that will be in the other big space that's out there um, and, uh, and from then on, uh, the world's our lobster, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah, I mean, we're, yeah, I mean, the 320 is, you know, it, it always was our intention to get uh, one of each. Uh, and it's interesting, I mean, we get a lot of, uh, lot of pilots walking in. Uh, mm. It seems an amazing number of pilots live around here. And I think some of them just like to chat. Um, but, uh, but it's interesting, it, it's almost split between sort of Boeing Airbus and uh, the Airbus guys obviously come in and see the 320 and say, oh, you know, you're getting an Airbus. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're, we're quite excited about that. Uh, but as, as Paul rightly said, I think we've just got a, you know, uh, we had hope the end of this year, but the lead times on these bits of kit are, you know, unbelievable. I mean, you know, this, our 7.3 sim, uh, we waited uh, over a year in the end, wasn't it? Uh, I think, almost. Just, just under, I just think. Under, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've got, obviously got to save the pocket money as well. Yeah, for, yeah, um, we've, got, uh, we've got, uh, I think, £17.80 towards <laughs> it. So we're well on the way. <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're not cheap bits of no, kit either. No. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of from a, an equipment point of view. Um, and obviously we're, you know, we want to really set about growing both sides of the business. Uh, I, I think probably Ground School London is, is something that, I mean, Paul and I are, are passionate about. Mm -hmm. uh, flight experience has, has been, you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, it's a global brand uh, of which we've acquired the license. So we, we, we've got quite a bit of support with that as well. Uh, and that's, you know, flight experience has been on the go for over 10 years. It's in 12, 13 countries now globally. Uh, and as, as Paul mentioned earlier, you know, it is the only Boeing officially licensed product of its kind. There's a lot of simulator entertainment businesses, 
uh, although obviously we're not just entertainment, we, we have the other side, but um, it is the only one that, you know, has been stamped. Uh, and it's not an easy accreditation to get either. So, you know, the simulator is, is just part of it, but it's, it's the training of the pilots, it's the customer service, it's, it's the whole package that is stamped by Boeing. Um, I mean, all our standard operating procedures are, are Boeing, basically. So we, we, when we train our instructors, they are trained on SOPs that, that most airlines who fly Boeings would, would recognise. Uh, one of the questions that we always ask uh, anyone we interview on the show uh, is about dream aircraft you'd like to fly. An iconic aircraft, something retired or still flying, that if you were given the chance now to, to, you know, to nip down to Heathrow or Gatwick or an airfield and, and hop in, um, what would you, one or two aircraft it could be, that you'd like to fly? Um, I'm not much for military aircraft, I'm, a, I'm a very much civil aviation and I would. I, I think I'd love to have a go at a 777. I think, think they're beautiful airplanes. I've only travelled on one once, actually, I think, and it was a fantastic flight. And um, But having said what I've just said, I would dearly love to fly a Spitfire and um, strafe the mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think... I, I, do, I did see, uh, see an advert actually in one of the uh, flight publications a few days ago. That you can actually, there is a company in the, in the UK that you can have a, have a flight in the Spitfire. I think it's about two and a half grand for, yes. for half an hour. Yeah, I've seen that. So. Yeah, but folks are much cliffs. more reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nick? Um, yeah, I, I'm the same as Paul actually. I'm not, I'm not a big one for military. Um, but actually, the, my, my choice is. is it's sort of appeared in, in both camps, I suppose, but was, was initially uh, on civil aviation, would be the VC-10. Yeah, I've, it's some, I just think it's a beautiful looking aeroplane. Uh, and it was, it was sort of there or thereabouts when I was very young. I was going to say growing up, but I didn't want to sort of... <laughs> so the BOAC days. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah. yeah, sort of, yeah. When I was very young, very, very young. Uh, and... Uh, the DC-10, uh, and the, the reason for that is when I did my first uh, flying, uh, or first job in, in aviation at, at Gatwick, it was in the, uh, the sort of the, the last few years or last year or two of uh, BCAL, British Caledonian, and I always remember uh, seeing the, uh, the old DC-10s out there, and they're just impressive looking aeroplanes, uh, so that would, they would be my two anyway. Good choices, guys. Well done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, before we wrap up, then, how can the listeners of the show find out more about you guys here? Yeah, well, uh, depending on, on which side uh, they're interested in, I would say anyone who wants to, uh, has a passion and, and really wants to see what it's like to fly realistically uh, a Boeing 737 and, and hopefully by the end of the year and or 320. Um, they, they can go to our Flight Experience London website, which is london.flightexperience.com. Uh, if it's something that they, you know, want to look at in a little bit more detail, and, or it could be they're looking to, to follow as a, as a career or, you know, in the early days. Or we days. do an enthusiast course as yep. well. 
So if, if you like flight simming at home and you, um, but you want to just learn a bit more so as you can do it sort of maybe a little bit more properly, if you know what I mean, yeah. then um, that would also be on the Ground School. Yeah, website. and that's easy enough to find. That's uh, groundschoollondon.com. So, uh, and on there, you'll find all the information on the courses, uh, contact numbers, contact emails, uh, or for either, just pick the phone up and give us a call. Uh, yeah, the number is 0203-004-0616, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll put the links, we'll put the links on the show notes for the episode and you guys with, the, with all the relevant email addresses and stuff. So I'm going to say a massive thank you to, to both of you for uh, you know, allowing us to come and see you here and, uh, and see the sim, which has been fantastic. I can't recommend it enough to all the listeners uh, who are living in the UK or if you're coming across here on, uh, on a holiday, get yourselves down here and have a go on the sim. It is a, an amazing experience and uh, I'm definitely going to be putting my orders in for Christmas this year. <laughs> uh, so on behalf of the Plane Talking UK podcast, thanks guys and uh, all the best for the future. Great. Thank you very thanks, much. Carla, thank thank you. you. Wow. We had a fantastic time here, didn't we, Matt? We certainly did. Absolutely incredible. And uh, uh, second time when we went to t- actually take the interviews, uh, uh, Nev came along as well, and yeah. uh, he had a bit of a uh, he had a go in the sim as well. Unfortunately, we haven't got the footage. Uh, from but we hopefully we will ha- we'll, we'll, we'll have, have some yeah. footage uh, of Nev in the sim. We'll probably mm. get that played at some point in the near future. But yeah. uh, a massive thanks again to the guys, Paul and Nick, at MP Simulations mm. as well for, uh, for for you know taking the time to. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, look after us. Indeed. Now, in a couple of weeks' time, we've got a, um, uh, some more footage that we're going to play out that uh, was a little thing involving myself, Carlos, and uh, Owen. And uh, we all did the same airport, same landing. And uh, we're going to play that out in a couple of weeks' time. So the week after the show that we do when we're at Pitt, uh, with regard to our... our uh, you can see for real and hear for real how we got on but uh, yes and uh, w- during that show we have a very big announcement uh, that involves our 200th episode that will be taking place yeah. on uh, the 20th of January Saturday the yeah. 20th of January so it's going to be sure epic news it's epic news so epic please news. whatever you do save that date in your phone in your diary in your calendar now that is Saturday the 20th of January uh, 2018 obviously a big announcement coming in two weeks time so keep your ears and eyes open for that Uh, we'll obviously uh, let you know when we're going to put that out in the episode but it is going to be epic news so you need to be listening indeed anyway it's time to wrap up boys and girls because uh, as uh, big aviation fans will know that there's uh, another little show oh, is um, it? called uh, the airline pilot guy who What's is that? waiting uh, hit their waiting in the wings <laughs> for us to stop dribbling we on do a, like a, we should do a, like <laughs> we should hand do a handover, handover, yeah, handover yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah stream it live on the, yeah absolutely but it's been a hugely long show so it thanks has. to everyone who stuck with us in the chat room tonight has, I know yeah, it's been it's a been very great, long show yeah. Matt's got a a little bit of editing to do this yeah, weekend. Yeah, a small no, amount. Um, we're going to say a massive <laughs> thanks to our, our uh, on the, the total on the spot, on the yeah. spot guest host Get tonight, out of a bit of Owen. Yeah. Thanks, Owen, for joining us yeah. tonight. I buddy. am fine, by the way. Sorry about earlier. I, I just I, I, I just had to step out for a minute, but I am fine. Everything's all fine. Really? Thank you very much for, oh, for all the ambulance concern. and everything. I'm, re- I'm really grateful for the, the concern, but I am absolutely fine. Oh, hello to Cheryl Mandrake. Drakey, I think that's your okay. name, Cheryl. Hello in the chat room. A new listener. A new finally got uh, 
a show live. Hey, seen, so, excellent. Yeah, uh, just as it comes show. to an end. So, uh, yes, so uh, AV Geeks, uh, the, the, the airline pilot, airline guy, pilot guy is about to finish. I feel I should Ooh. say that coming up after the break, it's time to hand coming over up. live to Captain Jeff and the airline pilot guy. Stay tuned for more info. <laughs> Right. Yes, and actually, yes. For those uh, for those in the chat room, Jeff Ward has put uh, Jeff. Uh, anyone who's a patron of the show will uh, would have had a little email. They would have had a in their email. inbox. Yeah, so if you're a patron, you're show, listening you know to the exactly show right now. Check your inboxes because you will have received while we were playing that segment a little email, a little email yeah. from me and Matt. Uh, I heard it here first, type thing. I heard so it thank here you first yeah. from us for being um, Patreon donators. So that's yes. it. That's where we're going to wrap up <laughs> yep. episode number one. 163. It yes. has been an epic show. It will be a shorter show <laughs> next, next week, week, but it will, however, be live from Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I, we haven't quite decided whether it's Friday or Sunday, so please make sure that you follow our social media feeds in order to find out when the live show is taking place. But we will be doing a live show from Pittsburgh. Uh, Owen, thanks very much uh, again for stepping in at such short notice to get me out of a muddle. And um, yeah, from all of us here in the studio, it is time to say goodbye. Goodbye! Take care, everyone! Have a great weekend.